Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What is up, everyone? Big show today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Great to have you with us. Andrew Hustler-Patterson along with Michael Remus. Um, oh, Remo, am I hearing the, uh, the intro? I guess we didn't do that today. Or we That's your speakers. It. You got to turn off your own thing. Do I have it on? Uh, do I have it on two channels here? You're Jeez, watching our own stream in on. another yes. tab, and it's playing through your speakers. Yes. Well, folks. Geez, what a what a bang up start to the show. We were a little bit late. Remus didn't know what time it was. I apparently had the YouTube channel playing on my Twitter, which was giving it a blast. Anyways, onwards and upwards because we do have an absolutely packed show today. Uh, of course, we'll get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Battle of Alberta be- begins tonight. We went out to Edmonton yesterday. My guy Pat Steinberg from Flames Talk and Sportsnet 960 is going to join us a little bit later on. It's the Players' Championship. Feinberg in the house. We always like to get Jeff in for uh, the big majors, so we'll do that at the end of the show, get some picks from Jeff, uh, and maybe talk a little bit. I know he was looking at uh, the new book on Phil Mickelson or was uh, listening to the book on Phil Mickelson today. Talk a little bit about Phil's absence and uh, get ready for tee off tomorrow at Southern Hills. Uh, but the big stories for Winnipeg sports fans right now are twofold. The Winnipeg Jets head coaching search. Barry Trotz interviewed yesterday reportedly as per Elliot Friedman and the current standoff between the CFL and the CFLPA. Murata Tesh, our great friend from The Athletic, will join us in the second guest segment and uh, Marat's got a very interesting piece on, you know, what the Winnipeg Jets and this opportunity here could offer him as he'll certainly be at the top of many teams lists. Why might Barry Trotz choose to come back to Winnipeg uh, to be the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets? We'll talk about that as well as what Marat's hearing and certainly get his thoughts on the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, eight teams that are out and the eight teams that are still playing. But as it pertains to the CFL and the CFLPA. As of about 20 minutes from now, the teams in Alberta will be in a legal strike position and the entire PA of the Canadian Football League will officially be on strike, although we are hearing some reports uh, via Farhan Lalji and the like that you know potentially we could be nearing the end of this soon. Hopefully that will be the case, but we will be speaking to um, the spokesperson through the Bombers on the CFLPA side of things, Jake Thomas coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, we'll try and get the player's point of view on these things, of where things are at, why they aren't at camp right now, what are the sticking points, and uh, you know where, the, where should the fans be in all of this, and how should fans feel about what's happening right now with their beloved three-down game. So Jake Thomas, Murata Tash, Pat Steinberg, and Jeff Feinberg, we got a massive, massive show. Make sure you hang around to the end. And great to have you all with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, huge thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. We couldn't do it without them. Aikens Lake, congratulations to Pitt and the gang on opening this week. Not particularly great weather to get going, uh, but I know they've worked so hard to get open. They'll be ready to go. Of course, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, 
Canadian Club Whiskey, Assiniboia Downs, and our betting partners over at Cool Bet Canada. Speaking of Cool Bet, just finished up a one-hour PGA Championship preview with Pat Bregoire and Jake Bowen Moss. You can check my Twitter feed or at Cool Bet Canada or the Cool Bet YouTube channel if you want to dive more into that, some of the exotics, breakdowns of tons of the players. And we will talk about that more a little bit later on on the show. All right, let's get to it. Let's bring Michael Remus in here and get after it, Remo. The second round of the National Hockey League playoffs underway. But for most Winnipeg Jet fans, certainly in my feed, that was secondary to nerves, excitement, anticipation, all of the above, fear as well. Um, after yesterday's reported meeting between the Jets and the number one list, uh, number one name on every Winnipeg Jets list for a potential new head coach here in the peg. Yeah, you started off that sentence with the second. I thought it was going to be the second week of Trot's watch, not the <laughs> second round of the NHL playoffs. Uh, yes, 12.30 yesterday, Elliot Friedman reporting that there was an interview that took place. Most common response, we got it on Instagram. We got it on our YouTube comments. Uh, is Barry Trotz interviewing the Jets? I'm sure there was some kind of mutual uh, conversation happening. But then it continued. There was uh, some, you know, some big names in hockey tweeting about it. People are talking. I did enjoy this tweet last night. Andy Strickland from FS Midwest. Sorry, it's now called Bally Sports. Uh, down south, you know, big TV network network name changes. Anyways, he wrote yesterday, was told several days ago, Barry Trotz is the slam dunk obvious choice for the Winnipeg Jets. Likely the obvious choice for Trotz as well. It makes too much sense with him being from there. Go Jets go. I don't know who Andy's talking to. I think we've all said here this I mean, he would be the slam dunk choice for the Jets. He would probably be the slam dunk choice for a lot of teams. But for him to suggest that it would be an obvious choice for Trotz is interesting. We've kind of laid out some of the reasons here. I know Murat will come in and expand on that more. But I thought this was, I mean, this is just interesting that someone else from out of the market putting this out there. But then another big heavyweight from out of market, uh, the legend himself, Timu Solani, putting out, uh, quote, tweeting Elliot Friedman with the bicep emoji. Is that, <laughs> what do you call that? The strong emoji? I don't, I don't know what Timu's trying to say, but I think he's on the trots train. Maybe strong choice yeah. for Winnipeg? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I'm obviously uh, on social media a lot and do a ton of texting. I definitely like to use emojis. I'm not sure I've ever dropped the bicep the bicep emoji before. So, oh, Turd Timu Ferguson did. calls it flexing. The, the flex. flex. Yeah, flexing flex emoji. emoji. Okay, okay. I, 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 I don't, don't do that it. one. I do, um, I do the face palm. That's like my most used. Yeah, I'm, for I'm obvious reasons. I'm what the hell is up with this, Remus? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, oh, this is you me. Know, that's, <laughs> this is that's me the Remus emoji. The I, that's like my most used. Like, it's not even close. Uh, Right after the mute button gets hit. Oh, I do the the pray thank you one. I do this one. <laughs> I do that one a lot. And the thumbs up is probably my my top three. Mine are obviously the crying laughing oh, emoji. That's, that's in there. my number one. That's in there. Uh the turd emoji oh. and the smoke emoji. Those oh, are smoke? Uh, those are probably I've my, never used my the smoke. Oh, what about the eyes? I've done the eyes. Well, 
uh, listen, the eyes uh, for to, professional, uh, like for for tweets, for Winnipeg yeah. sports talk stuff, definitely the eyes. Well, the eyes were in full effect yesterday. I think you dropped that one on oh, our Instagram I did, feed. I did drop the eyes. Followed, on- by the way, at Sports Talk WPG, uh, because it was basically the tweet of Elliot Friedman that the Jets were meeting with Barry Trotz yesterday, and that certainly had everyone's eyes wide open. So uh, there's a little round the world of uh, emoji usage on the show, uh, started by Tamu Solani. Uh, but all jokes aside, I mean, this is something a lot of people are, are talking around the league for a number of reasons. Uh, most of those people, Timo Solani obviously does, but most of those other people are just interested as to, you know, where Barry Trotz ends up and knows that, you know, the Winnipeg Jets, a team that would not normally, I think, be mentioned in the options or considerations of the number one guy on the market, uh, but because of obvious connections to Manitoba, to the city of Winnipeg, um, you know, that Barry Trotz is there and obviously met with them first. So, um, you know, it's it, it. Listen, I get it. I mean, I'm right there with everyone. I'm incredibly hopeful. I was excited to know that the uh, the Jets were the first team in with Barry Trotz, and it was pretty clear that Trotz stuck to the timeline that he floated out through Pierre LeBron after he got you whacked last Monday by the New York Islanders. That he needed a week off. Well, he had a week off, and the next day he was meeting with the Winnipeg Jets. So, the only thing I can take from that is that is optimistic. Um, it wasn't that he's going to give them a courtesy interview at the end of sitting down and talking Turkey with a number of other teams. Um, and again, like I said before, if you're not planning on seriously considering an option, an offer, I don't know why you go through the uh, the process. Although until any of this is done, there's all sorts of angles that people could take on it. But as Marat laid out, and we've talked about it quite a bit, um, you know, there will be the money side of things. There will be the power, the control, the role within the organization, as well as the front office. There will be the potential move at some point to a management position, which has been reported that Barry Trotz would be interested in. And I would think that Drew North would absolutely be on side with that. I mean, he's a guy that they've respected since the day that this team came here from Atlanta. And I think it would be an incredible opportunity, not only from a coaching side of things, but to have one of the best coaches in NHL history, part of the group. And then the big intangible that no one really knows outside of Barry Trotz and the people closest to him is how much the opportunity to come back home to his home province, a place where he still spends a lot of time, has so many close friends and family here. And the opportunity to hopefully be the architect of a big turnaround of a team that's been on a disappointing slide the last couple seasons. How much would that mean to him? Um, he has done just about everything else. He's, you know, at a third overall in uh, wins in NHL history, I believe. He's got his Stanley Cup ring. He's had incredible results everywhere that he's been. You would hope and if this is the case, I think it really increases the Jets' chances of getting Barry Trotz that, you know, he understands what it would mean to the people here, of which he is one of, if this thing could get turned around and where that would put him in the annals of uh, of hockey history. I mean, he's already a Manitoba Sports Hall of Famer, Manitoba Hockey Hall of Famer. I mean, he's done it all. One of the most famous, really, you know, Manitobans outside of players in NHL history. So... If that does mean something to him, uh, which you certainly hope it does, I think it certainly helps out the Winnipeg Jets. Now, 
I, we're all going to get nervous if we find out, oh, they've had a nice conversation with the Jets and now he's in Detroit or now he's in Pitts or now he's in Philadelphia or now he's in Las Vegas. Um, and that's something that unfortunately we're just going to need to keep on following day by day here on the program, hopefully for not too long. Um, because the one thing, Remus, that we have discussed that I think we all agree on, um, it is important for the Winnipeg Jets to find their new bench boss and to get him in place quickly because I do think that um, the man, whether it's Barry Trotz or somebody else that will be taking over this team, you know, will want to have some sort of a say and involvement in the huge player personnel decisions that Kevin Sheveldayoff has, including the guy at the top of the list in most conversation when it comes to that, number 55, Mark Scheifele. Yeah, and we've talked about this. There's going to be a lot of teams interested, whether it's Vegas, Detroit, Philadelphia. I mean, there's a couple that get thrown out, but I agree they do probably would want to have a coach in place soon, you know, before the draft. That's when a lot of moves are made. We've heard and talked about for a couple of weeks here now about the issues in the dressing room and how are they going to work to resolve those and having a coach come in, do that and maybe assess the room or assess the roster and have a say and in, in some input on what the team is going to look like. I think that was something that Barry Trotz would want. So we'll have to see what happens as, Timeline, what are we at? May 18. I think the draft is mid-June-ish, or right? July 7th. I, July 7th, so there you go. July 7th. So We got a, we got a ways to go, and yeah, man. Are we going to have, like, remember the Kawhi camera when it was, like, showing him in his <laughs> private plane doing yes. his meetings? Are we going to have that for Barry? Are we the, at that level where we can have the camera on him arriving at airports and North American cities. I'll tell you what, if there are reports that Barry Trotz is showing up at the James H. Richardson International Airport, mm -hmm. CTV or whoever's got access to that chopper needs to just ditch whatever traffic rolls that they have or whatever they're using for that and get that thing following the car. Where is it going? Is it going to Canada Life Center? Is it going to parts unknown? Is it going to a hotel downtown? Um, uh, honestly, I mean, I'm joking when I say that, but the interest in that would be the equivalent, I think, of, you know, the interest that was in Kawhi Leonard when he was trying to, uh, when the, he was deciding where he was going to go, albeit after winning a championship, sort of a different scenario. But the bottom line is that pretty much to a, to a person, from what we're hearing, Winnipeg Jet fans are all in on Barry Trotz, as you would think that they would be. The big question is whether Barry Trotz is going to be all in on the opportunity here with the Winnipeg Jets. If anything breaks during the program, we will certainly get to that. Um, we should quickly touch on the games last night, Remo. And uh, what do you know? We did the cool bet lines yesterday. Tampa Bay coming up with a big victory, falling down one nothing, but storming back for a pretty convincing 4-1 victory. And I know I had said that outside of the power play, Nikita Kucherov didn't really stand out very much to me in the Tampa in the Toronto series. Maybe he was listening because he was all world cooch last night. Absolutely embarrassing. Aaron Ekblad, a former number one overall pick and top defenseman of the National Hockey League, doing it all for the Lightning last night. What a huge win in the battle of the Sunshine State in game number one. Yeah, and I looked at the numbers. I was like, I don't know how Lightning, you could consider them underdogs. I understand what they did in the regular season, but playoff experience, I think, is huge. You saw it, although 
Pittsburgh didn't win right away, neither did Washington, but they were able to give those teams a fight when maybe many thought it wasn't going to be as close as it was. Tampa, just look at Tampa's roster. They got the one of the top goalies in the league, two top, you know, five, ten forwards in Stamkos and Kutrov, and Norris caliber defenseman and Hedman. This team is so stacked, and they've done this year after year now. I'm not surprised that they won game one. We'll have to see game two, but that's a big win for them with Braden point out. You know, he's day to day, probably the rest of the series. We'll have to see how that goes. It looked pretty serious, but. I mean, I think we're on a collision course here for possibly another Tampa Bay appearance in the cup final. This is me overreacting after one game. Rightfully so. Well, the funny thing is, yeah. you said yesterday you thought Florida was going to win, but still we're on Tampa to win the yeah. series. So yeah. I think even more so after winning game number one. And hey, like I said at the beginning, I mean, this, these two teams are both great. I mean, Florida was, you know, they beat Toronto and Tampa and everybody else in their division and the conference in the league overall in the season. They don't have any of that playoff experience. They finally did get a win, although it was somewhat touch and go the way they had to beat the Washington Capitals. But for me, Reem, with two stacked lineups and the even the experience factor on Tampa's side of things, to me, the difference maker is Andre Vasilevsky. And I'll ride with Vasilevsky far more than I would in a rookie Spencer Knight or, of course, the $10 million man. Bob, Sergey Bobrovsky. Yes, uh, Barry. Uh, yes, Bob. Oh, here it is. Um, has, I'm gonna. We got another Trots update here. Okay. This is from update. Anthony okay, Trots Sa watch. Anthony Sanfilippo at Crossing Broad. His sources are telling him that the Flyers will be interviewing Barry Trots on Friday. Sorry to interrupt our playoff discussion, but let's try to get uh, too jealous. So. Or, you know, like take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, Huss. He's going <laughs> to be interviewing like with other teams. Yep. Doesn't mean he just wants to hear what they have to say. Well, uh, and he says, Trotz is the Flyers' first head coach. And they're willing to first throw. First choice. First choice to be the next coach. They're willing to throw stupid money at him to get him there. Are the Jets willing to throw stupid money at Trotz? And they I can't with answer stupid that money? question. I mean, what what is stupid money? I mean, are we talking about making him the highest paid coach in the league by ten, two or three million dollars? I mean, giving him ten million bucks a year. I'm, I'm not sure what the highest paid coach in the league is. I think he was making in and around four with the New York Islanders. So it is sort of funny how you know you can go get fired and then all of a sudden you're poised to make you know fifty or a hundred percent more than you were in your last spot. Here's the thing about Philly. And again, if it's if it comes down to money, um, you know, I think that the Winnipeg Jets have to have to be big leaguers. They got to play in the same league with these other teams. And if there's a cost to getting Barry Trotz, this is the cost. And you know, you somewhat have to have to jump on that. Um, but it'll be everything else around it. I mean, the atmosphere. And listen, they just did the same damn thing with Elaine Vino a couple of years ago, and we've seen how that's ended up. So um that being said, we'll be watching for the white smoke as from uh, from downtown to see what happens some point soon. But uh, I, I mean, I guess the best case scenario was they met yesterday and they said, you know what, we don't need to meet anybody else. This is what's happening. I think Barry Trotz and certainly his agent is saying, well, let's hear some of these other teams out and see exactly what's happening. One more, um, sorry, one more thing on that before we get to Jake. Uh, he says Anthony Sanfilippo also adds whispers around the league 
are that going home might not have been tops on Trotz's agenda as many originally thought. And he says Vegas also also interested. So um, I'm not sure. Take that for what it's worth. That's yeah. from a Philly yeah. beat writer. Yeah, that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that is sort of one of those things where you got to just sort of take everything for what it's worth. I'll wait to see what comes out of the likes of an Elliot Friedman. Um, you know, and Fridge has been as connected as pretty much anybody in the National Hockey League when it comes to, you know, just being the insider as the uh, the voice of record on this. He was the one that reported the meeting yesterday. Jets got in that for their first. So uh, we'll see what happens and where we go from here. But uh, a lot of people holding their breath on uh, the future Barry Trotz and whether that future might include the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to move over to the uh, stalemate, if you will, between the Canadian Football League and the CFLPA. A strike, I guess, officially greenlit for the Stamps and Elks coming up in about three minutes. And we're going to speak with uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber and uh, I guess in some ways the spokesperson from the local team for the PA, Jake Thomas, in just a second. Before we do that, I mentioned Aikens Lakes ready to get going this year. We are going to be out there later on. World-class five-star fishing lodge. Less than two hours you can be on the water from the city of Winnipeg. There is limited availability for a few spots over the course of the calendar. Whether you're thinking about a long-awaited family trip or an unbelievable corporate outing after spending the last two years on Zoom. Find out more at AkinsLake.com. And uh, hopefully we'll be coming back later on this summer with the pictures of some monsters from uh, that great lake and uh, obviously all the amazing people that work out at Aikens Lake. AkinsLake.com and at AkinsLake on Twitter. Uh, Wallace and Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist are on board with WST. They are the uh, go-to guys. Uh, they've been re serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If you need the uh, security and protection of a new fence or if winter's done a number on your old one, give them a call. They've got it all vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. And if it's time to replace your garage door, Wallace & Wallace also has Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors and incredible service for whatever problems you may have. Give them a call, 204-452-2700 to make an estimate to come out and give you a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston Boulevard. And hey, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market continue to Provide great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And not to mention some delicious lunch options like a Vitamarket salad, soup, sandwiches, and more at the Grab and Go Deli. Try that falafel salad. And if you're doing some barbecuing, check out the delicious lean bison steaks or chicken available at Vita Health Fresh Market. Uh, if you can't make it into the store, you can visit the brand new fully shoppable website at myvita.ca to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. Again, it's Vita Health Fresh Market, now with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. All right, I think we've got Jake Thomas with us. So uh, let's welcome him in. Normally, we'd be speaking with Jake wearing the blue and gold of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Today, it is the hoodie of the Canadian Football League Players Association as we're in some uncharted territory right now, waiting for training camps to get going again. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, normally, we'd love to be talking about the upcoming season, but as the spokesperson for the team and the PA, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, 
First off, I guess, where are you and your teammates right now? And uh, let me ask you this, because again, this is kind of more for fans. I mean, uh, you know, uh, myself, everyone here in the chat, um, everyone just wants to see you guys back on the football field and going on. From your perspective, Jake, um, why are we are where we are right now? And how has it come to this? Yeah, I think we've done a good job of getting a lot of the deal done. You know, we did do the interest-based bargaining and that worked very well at first. Um, I just think in any negotiations, there's always going to be a few sticking points. And I think, you know, we're down to, you know, three to five main points, which, you know, I think if we just both, both a little budge here or there, I think we can get this, uh, you know, done, done fairly quick, but it's all about, you know, communication and having both parties getting to that point. Um, I think, I think, you know, the first offer, that you know guys saw i think caught us a little bit off guard but uh you know i think uh you know our rpa and our bargaining board are doing a great job we all know they're putting in you know 16 18 hour days trying to get us back on the field as soon as possible well that first offer that at least was made public i mean the 10-year deal with no increase to the salary cap i think that caught off everybody off guard and I, I mean, I was stunned at it because I just thought, I mean, and again, I've got no skin in the game. I want to see you guys play. I want to be in their stands. I want to see you guys hopefully go for a third grade cup like most people do. But that just seemed to be so far off from reality. Um, did it set the negotiations off on a bad foot right off the bat? Or did you guys just take this? Hey, this is negotiations. You just have to kind of keep a level head about it. Say this isn't going to work and attack it piece by piece. Yeah, I think uh, a little bit of both, I guess. I think we realized it was negotiations. That's probably not where they wanted to end up. But, uh, you know, when it starts to become more of reality that this could happen, just even as a rep, you're getting a lot of phone calls once, you know, things like that leak out and people think, is this really the offer? So I I don't know. You know, I think I'm sure where they are now and where we are now, um, I don't think we're too far away. But, yeah, it would have. It definitely, I think, just got everyone's attention a little bit earlier than the week week before. Uh, Jake Thomas with us discussing the negotiations between the Canadian Football League and the CFLPA. One of the other things that came out on that was the elimination of the Canadian ratio. As a longtime veteran Canadian player, what was your reaction to that? Um, what did you hear from the rest of the members of the PA on that? And is there a split at all? I mean, how challenging is it from your perspective to – make everybody happy when you do have a large contingent of Canadian players that really benefit from the ratio and some other American players that might not feel the same way about it. You know, I can only speak for our room. Um, but I think guys, this is the most, um, unified we've ever been as a players association. Um, and the Americans understand the value of the ratio. They understand that, you know, people want to go to bomber games and they want to see Nick Dembski score a touchdown. They want to see Jeff Gray on the field. It's pretty cool to have those local guys there. Um, you know, we were blessed for many years to have Andrew Harris. Uh, you know, maybe if that ratio is not there, he's someone that's, you know, not winning two Grey Cups for his hometown team. But, you know, obviously I think uh, that's ratio in the past has been a fairly easy way to divide the group. But uh, I think guys just moving forward realize, you know, the importance of both and, there, it hasn't been that big of an uproar in our room, you know. I think the Americans they understand what uh, the importance of the ratio for the league. 
how much progress has been made on that? I mean, as a Canadian player, from what you're hearing and what's going on with the negotiations, um, what exactly, uh, what, what, what do we know about the, the future of the ratio right now Where, uh, as far as what the, uh, the negotiating is? I would say from the first thing we saw, there's been a, you know, there's been a big change from their side, but, you know, I'm not sure exactly where that it will end on that side. Uh, you know, in the, in the end of the deal, we'll see where it falls. I'm not a hundred percent sure where, uh, where that agreement will be made, but you know, I'm sure a lot of people would just like to keep it at seven. Jake, how would you describe the trust between the two sides? I mean, one of the things that we've heard when speaking with, you know, uh, you know, some of the individuals that have been covering this, um, you know, comes down to revenue sharing and the transparency of the league. Um, is there is there trust? Does everything feel like it's happening in good faith uh, on both sides right now? And is that leading to more progress? I think right now, uh, from a players' association, this whole year. I would say, you know, we have been taking steps to becoming partners. And I think both sides, you know, realize that we need to be partners to grow this league to the best it can be. Um, you know, and yes, that's been brought up in the negotiations. But I think anytime you want to introduce something like revenue sharing, you just want to, you know, dot all your I's and cross all your T's before you sign off on something that could be for seven years. So it's just getting that understanding the transparency of what's included what's not included but you know i would say from years previous to now i would say we're much more in a partnership position but uh we just got to get through that final hurdle and uh, finish this race off and i think uh yeah we'll be in a good spot moving forward how contentious was the um the 12 padded practices issue right now i mean we hadn't had that was looking to come back in i mean from your position as you know as as a veteran player i mean you know you've been in all sorts of practices for your entire career um where are we at with that and how important is that to the players to uh, e- either limit or eliminate yeah i think so just where you see the ratio or the uh, the numbers were Injuries have gone down, I think it's like 33% since we've reduced the padded practices. So it's just one of those things. Yeah, if, I guess if you want to bring it back, are we going to have more long-term injury um, support and things like that? But I think guys, um, you know, it it was surprising to a few guys just that, uh, you know, it was just a few years ago that we took that took that away. And, you know, we've seen the, the benefits of it for a player safety perspective, you know. But I guess then you could think of their side where maybe they're trying to develop more people and think it's better with pads. But I think that will be something that hopefully, you know, they figure out here in the, the next, you know, either today, tomorrow, or whenever this deal's got to get done. I'm sure there's there's going to be a spot there where they can figure this out. So, Jake, if I'm hearing you correctly, there has been some progress. Um, you know, it's not like people are taking uh, going the other way and they're not talking right now. I mean, from your perspective, what can you tell us about the remaining outstanding issues right now and what needs to happen to get your membership on side to uh, shake hands on a deal and get you guys back on the field? Well, I'm not a part of the bargaining committee, so I just kind of, I'm not there for the nitty gritty conversations, but I just think the biggest step was taken yesterday. You're not going to be able to get a deal done if you're not speaking. So I think yesterday, uh, you know, I think they got back to, to chatting. So hopefully, uh, they can put in a couple good days here along the way and we can get back to work. Um, you guys were supposed to be playing football next week. I mean, and I realized that the the schedule of the preseason, it was one game that was much earlier on, but 
I mean, we do know that the minute games are lost, there's a big chunk of revenue that helps both sides. Um, how would you categorize the level of urgency right now, today, as talks continue um, to get something done to uh, avoid missing preseason games, which will cost everybody money? Yeah, I'm sure both sides want to get a deal done here. It's just finding a fair deal. I don't think anyone signed up for this for, you know, people to miss games. But uh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that happens kind of when these things drag out a little bit. So hopefully uh, hopefully they, they continue talking and, um, you know, we can just get a fair deal done for both sides and, you know, just be happy and let's get back to playing football. How, um, how engaged are, are the Bombers? Let's just speak specifically about your team i mean uh, i know you know adam's been quite involved i mean uh, you obviously are as well as sort of the spokesperson for the players on the team um how uh, how involved are the other players in the team on both sides of the border the canadians and the americans and uh, how would you categorize the um the solidarity i guess amongst at least members of the two-time champs i think it's great um you know i think uh one thing we have a veteran team so this isn't the first cba for a lot of guys so a lot of guys have known, uh, you know, the gist of it. Um, Mike Benson, he's kind of our third CFLPA rep. He's been huge for us, uh, securing fields, gym times, and things like that. But I think this is the biggest thing guys want to know is communication. You know, no matter if there's good updates, bad updates, or no updates, we're giving daily updates. So we have communication, you know, face-to-face -face communication. We have... Uh, um, messaging channels that we've been using. So I think the biggest thing that's been the benefit this year for us, even before we got to training camp, was just updating the guys where we were, what we were fighting for, the reasons what we're fighting for. Because, you know, in the end of the day, the things that we're fighting for, the CBA, they're not going to benefit me or Adam Big Hill. We're going to be, if it's a seven-year deal, I sure, I'm sure I would love to play seven more years, but that that may not be in the cards for me. So it's just putting down that foundation for the next generation of players in this league that, you know, the, the CFLPA fought for you guys and you're you're now in a great league with, uh, you know, great support. You know, speaking of support, um, you remember the Bombers. You guys have won the last two great cups. You enjoy fantastic fan support from the people here in Manitoba. Saskatchewan would be in a similar boat, Edmonton to another extent. But there are some teams, especially in the bigger markets, Jake, that have been, you know, not successful. And they've had a ton of empty seats. And from all reports, they've been bleeding red ink. How challenging is it to get a fair deal for the entire league when seemingly the economics of the, par of the teams in the league are so different depending on the way they're supported in their respective markets? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, a very valid concern um, for everyone involved. I think everyone wants to get back to the days where the BC Lions, that they're, they're packed. You know, when I first came to the league, Toronto still was getting pretty good fans. Same with Montreal. You saw it last year. They're getting a bit more successful now. And, uh, you know, they were putting uh, people in the seats. But, you know, BC, Edmonton, and Montreal, they all now have new ownership too. And it seems like, uh, I don't know too much about them, but it seems like, uh, everything I read on Twitter and social media, those guys are saying and doing the right things. I think Edmonton, I saw they did a one or two day ticket sale and they sold the most amount of tickets they've ever sold in those times. So hopefully uh, we're putting a good foundation that makes sense for both sides, not just the players. Obviously you need a successful league for the players to be able to play in. So I think it's just finding a fair and equal deal for both sides.
know, and, and listen, I'll give you and your teammates a lot of credit. What you guys have done in the community over the last number of years has really been significant. I think it's helped, uh, you know, boost the fan support of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, and certainly, I mean, we saw BA running around with the cup all summer long with the, uh, the Grey Cup tour. I mean, these are important things. But the X's and O's of this deal is going to come down to revenue and increasing revenue. I'm sure that's been a big, big part of conversations. From what you're hearing, um, you know, from the PA's side of things, are there, are there new ideas to establish more re revenue? I mean, what can be done to make this pie bigger so maybe we don't have as much ferocious battle for every dollar and cents? We get into a position where everyone's happy because there's more money coming into the pot for the entire Canadian Football League. Yeah, without getting too much into specific details, because I don't think I would be fully the one to to know that growth plan for the league, but I think it all starts with a fair partnership, you know? If if the league and players are, I think are working towards a common goal, I don't know what we can tackle. You know, I think in the CFL, uh, the players are the most accessible players of probably all all pro sports. You know, if that means guys sticking around in the off season, starting grassroots flag football, going to schools, going to speak. You know, our players are are willing to do that. And I think it's just. You know, how can we work together to take the league to the next level? Because, you know, I think we have a, a damn good product and I think people really enjoy it. It's just uh, giving it that little one more little kickstart to take it to the next spot. Well, certainly no argument on on that. Jake Thomas is with us uh, representing the CFLPA and a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. It's just before we go, Jake, I mean, as we sit here in the afternoon, as we said, we've just passed the deadline for Calgary and Edmonton to be in a legal strike position. So I would imagine officially the entire league is on there. Um, how would you, uh, are you optimistic that this gets done quickly? And, and, and listen, once a deal is done, as far as shaking hands in that room, what has to happen with the rest of your teammates as far as signing off on this and uh, getting the green light so you guys can get back on, on, in, on the practice field and we can get on with the season? Yeah, I think once we, uh, you know, the uh, bargaining committee would bring us a, a, a deal that they think is appropriate and something that we would accept, we'd have to meet as player reps and see if, uh, you know, that's something we think the room would approve and kind of just do trickle down from there, you know, goes to the players, to the player reps. But uh, I, I'm sure once a deal gets done and the player reps feel comfortable, uh, you know, hopefully we can get right back into it. Then I'm sure the uh, bargaining committee will be traveling around each city to kind of g explain everything and kind of put the final stamp on it before votes. Uh, as far as you know, is there one issue that is far more contentious than the others uh, that's the, uh, more difficult? And is there one sort of quote unquote, I hate to use the term hill to die on because, I mean, we want to get this done. But, I mean, is, is there one problem area that hasn't been solvable as much as some of the other progress that you've talked about? I think everything's negotiable, right? I think it's um, it's just figuring out what works for both sides. You know, obviously the players are always going to want as much money as possible and the owners are going to be on the other side. It's like any job, right? But uh, I don't think there's one issue that either side's got to live or die on. It's just making those four or five issues all together to make sense.
Uh, well, it makes sense. I, I I appreciate your time here, and I also understand how challenging this must be because I mean we're not talking about the National Football League that you know is basically a cash printing press. And we also understand that you know as professional football players, especially in the Canadian Football League, um, the careers are very short, and you have to make the most of each. And I think that's what has made this, um, you know, that's gotten us to this point. But I can tell you. Everyone hopes this gets done soon. Maybe just on the way out, Jake, uh, we've got a ton of Bomber fans with us live right now here on the YouTube channel that will be listening to the podcast a little bit later on. Um, maybe just a message from you and your teammates to the fans that are sitting here sort of feeling like they're trapped in the middle, wanting to watch you guys get back to it and uh, obviously frustrated that it's not happening at this point yet. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think plenty of players have had fans reach out to us and say, what do you need from us, you know? I think your support's huge for us because uh, there's no CFL and there's no CFLPA uh, without the fans. You guys are kind of the lifeblood of this league. So hopefully we can get this deal uh, behind us here soon and we can get back to doing what everyone loves. And that's you guys uh, rocking it at IG Field and us putting on a show for you. Hey, really appreciate you taking the time today. I know this is a tough time for everyone involved. Uh, here's to uh, here's to a future visit very soon on Winnipeg Sports Talk, talking about how much training camp sucks and how much you can't <laughs> wait to get back on the field and start off the season in game one of a full 18-game schedule. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. There's Jake Thomas of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the spokesperson for the CFLPA with the Winnipeg Football Club. Thanks again to Jake and Adam Big Hill for setting that up. and. Listen, I think Jake's a, you know, a great rep and you know there there are some things that he probably can't get too much into and who knows, maybe during the conversation that we just had some progress has been made in the boardroom between the uh, the two bargaining sides. Bottom line is, let's get this done. Let's get going and uh, let's see if the Blue Bombers can make it a three-peat this year in the Canadian Football League. Uh we're going to get back to the Jets, a little more Barry Trotz talk, Stanley Cup playoffs and more with Murata Tesh. Um well, Marat, you know, we've seen Marat at the at the press box before. A very sharp-dressed man, if there ever was one. And I will say this, uh, going into the summer, myself and many of us are going to need to step up the game a little bit when it comes to weddings and much more. And our friends at F Apparel have got you covered. Custom suits for men starting at $400. Every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And F Apparel is there for you. And it's a great time to pop in. We have got... Two about 250 new fabrics, styles, and swatches available. And I do know that Remo just picked up his new suit today from F Apparel. He's all fired for that. Can't wait for the Winnipeg Sports Talk fashion show when Remo shows that off. Pop down and see him, 190 Smith Street downtown, or check him online at fephapparel.com. Uh, the gang at Culligan Water has been such great supporters of Winnipeg Sports Talk since we got going uh, last year. They're celebrating 65 years in business, and they have been the mainstays of the water game here in Winnipeg. And they have it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, not to mention commercial industrial water products and solutions. Pop by and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue or... Find out more online at drinkculligan.com. Well, listen, it was great to have Jake on the program. I can tell you that those um, exclusive back-to-back -back blue bomber lids at Royal Sports went quickly. Might still have a couple left, uh, but hopefully in nine months or so, we'll be talking about back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back ones. Um, but hey, when you're getting ready for bomber season, 
whether you got a favorite player on the Jets for a gift, whether it's NFL, Blue Jays baseball, Royal Sports is the superstore when it comes to licensed merchandise. But it's not just that. All the new Team Canada soccer gear is coming in. They've got their expanded soccer section for people playing on the pitch, not to mention softball, baseball, an expanded fitness section, the biggest hockey section in town, and bikes coming in by the week. Whatever you need, Royals got you covered. Seven 50 Pemina Highway or check them out online at Royal Sports Pemina for all the latest merchandise drops and sales. All right, let's welcome in Marat Atesh of the program for our weekly visit. Lots going on, Marat. You can imagine how fired up people were around uh, these parts when they heard that the Winnipeg Jets were interviewing Barry Trotz yesterday, got in first. Now, it does sound like Barry's going to be doing his due diligence. There's a report out of Philadelphia that he'll have a meeting with the Philadelphia Flyers later on this week. Um, certainly the Vegas Golden Knights, I'd imagine, will look to reach out. They've got plenty of Manitoba connections. Um, but what did you think yesterday when you saw Friedman's uh, list? They said he was going to take one week off. Well, he took that week off, and first up was the Winnipeg Jets. you take anything from that, Marat? I do think it's a good sign. It's definitely not a bad sign. We can say that much. Um, without knowing the inner logistics of how Barry's living his life, I mean, maybe he was just at home and Winnipeg was the first location for him on his way onto the road to go on the on the big tour. That will be all the interviews that he has. It could be as simple as that. It could be as exciting as Winnipeg is one of the legitimate front runners for his services. I don't think Barry Trotz is in a position to be wasting his time right now either. So I think it's meaningful that that interview happened. I imagine he'd have as many questions for the Winnipeg Jets as the Jets had for him. And man, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm supposed to be objective in all of this, right? But I just hold Barry Trotz as such a high-level coach that the idea that they did get as far as an interview um, you know, it has me excited to see what what changes he could make in Winnipeg if it gets that far. Well, and you've got a great piece in The Athletic, and we'll sort of go through it, and we'll talk about what could happen on the ice and why the Jets might be attractive to a free agent head coach. But there's the other side of things when it comes to the, you know, the public pulse of the fan base. Um, you know, some eroded confidence, confidence that you certainly saw when it came to the fan poll at the end of the season. And that goes with, you know, the disappointing season that the Winnipeg Jets had. Um, you know, we've been sort of banging this drum all week or really since last week, but there's nobody that could stem that or almost turn it around in a 180 in a matter of a matter of hours than a press conference announcing Barry Trotz as the coach of the Winnipeg Jets as far as what's happening off the ice with the business operation of True North. Yeah, and it's not that he fixes every problem simply by having his name announced, but when it comes to a sense of maybe goodwill or a sense of, how about this, a sense of Winnipeg doing everything it can to be as elite as it possibly can as an organization. And I think that's the level of coach that Barry Trotz is. And that's, you know, I listened to a, to a podcast at the coach's site by Barry Trotz's agent, Gil Scott, and Gil was talking about how coaches prepare for head coaching interviews, like the one that Trotz had with Winnipeg yesterday. And in addition to all the things like do your homework, know the organization inside and out, as I'm sure Barry has done in preparation for meeting with the Jets. Another one, another key point that he advises his clients, including Barry Trotz, including Bruce Boudreau and others, is help 
your owner win the press conference. The day that they announce that hiring, that ownership group, that general manager, everybody involved wants to be able to, you know, look to the fans, look to the response they get and have this sensation that they did the very best thing and that it will be celebrated. I think, like you said, Huss, I think I think Trotz is one of a few guys that genuinely check off every bucket. And then, of course, he has to go to work. He has to get to, you know, turning the deep dive he would have done by way of homework into action, setting in whatever plans that he and the uh, and management agree upon into, you know, a structured step-by-step plan. And we know there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of frustration in Winnipeg based on the year that just happened. But I think that you're exactly right. There isn't a name on the market that could be a bigger splash than Manitoba's very own Barry Trotz. Yeah, and for a lot of reasons, I think it would reinstill some lost confidence in a part of the fan base that unfortunately for True North, I think grew substantially over the course of that season. But back to the conversation with Gil Scott, because I found that is a really interesting part of your article at The Athletic, that it's out on this topic. Um, you know, part of it was doing the homework on the club that you're interviewing on. And I don't know if there could be anything more fascinating than hearing what Barry Trotz had to say as a prospective coach for the Winnipeg Jets to the guys running the Winnipeg Jets about the club that he potentially could take over next season. Yeah, I would love to be on a <laughs> fly on the wall for that. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, some some interviews can are, are short. And this is, again, from that podcast at the coach's site that Gil speaks heavily in. Some are short. It's like the, the team has already circled you as their number one guy. Um, they're not going to ask too many questions beyond vision and things like that could be as short as a dinner and other interviews that his clients have gone through have been hours and hours. You know, they're late at dinner. They're using salt and pepper shakers as, um, as strategy pieces or as X's and O's on the, on the rink. And they're really getting into it. So it could have been any degree of flavor of that, but given the state that Winnipeg was in and the reasons why they need a new head coach um, and the uncertainty around star players coming in out of the exit interviews, all of that sort of stuff, I mean, I think it's a little bit more unique than a 30-minute, oh, hey, you're good, I'm good, great. Um, I think there was a deep dive. I would expect that there was some real frank discussion, and I, and I would hope that there was some real frank discussion because, you know, the more honest that, that Trotz would be, the more open about their needs Winnipeg would be, I think that would be not only better indication that it's a serious possibility, but it's also the sort of groundwork that you would require for there actually to be progress made. If you can't name the issue, you can't solve the issue. And given how much we respect Trotz as a, you know, as a coaching voice in the National Hockey League, knowing exactly what he thought from the safety of having so many suitors uh, pitching him for work right now. I mean, man, man, I would love to know. Yeah, no doubt. And I'd also like to be Gil Scott right now because I'm sure that pays quite well considering what's going to be thrown at Barry Trotz with wherever he finishes up. The other interesting question about Barry Trotz, um, or maybe not question, but report, is that he's got his sights set on management um, after coaching. And and I'm interested in your thoughts. I mean, Cheveldayoff's got a three-year deal. He's moving forward as the general manager. We know the relationship between the co- the uh, GM and the owner and the Larry Simmons and Zinger. Um, these guys have been together for a long time. How beneficial do you think the arrival of Barry Trotz could be, not necessarily to the coaching part, but to the actual management of the club, player personnel, and how impactful might he be in this offseason we've been talking about for months that could potentially have some franchise-changing moves coming up in the next little while? Yeah, that's such an interesting one because 
it's tough to it's tough to know in this case. And there's lots of things that I kind of want to think about on that topic. When it comes to coaching, he has an incredible resume demonstrated year over year over year. I mean, this one would have been disappointing on Long Island, but everything before that outperformed expectations in Long Island, won a cup in Washington, was the longest coach in Nashville Predators history. Everything is there. But when it comes to GM, when it comes to player personnel, I mean, if he's had input on the clubs that he's worked at so far, we don't necessarily have that clearly laid out for us. Which decisions did he contribute to? Which didn't he? How did they work out? All of that sort of stuff. So as much as we respect the hockey mind, you know, the track record probably goes back to Dauphin Kings in the 1980s when he was GM um, of, of that organization as well as as well as leading it. So there's a there's there's a sense, and I think there's there's a confidence when you know that somebody is that plugged in, that intelligent, all of those things, that they're going to do a good job. But there's a lot, also a lot of learning that would need to take place. And if that is his interest, and Winnipeg's able to help him step into it a little bit over, let's say, these next three years, I think that's a good fit. Because Shovel Dayoff is established. He knows the ins and outs. Um, you have Larry Simmons, who's the capologist, who's done so much good work with the LTIR business, all the all the different stuff. I think that management is more or less settled in terms of knowing, I guess, the X's and O's of its positions and could be in a great position to teach as well as to accommodate a new voice, especially if, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot is that Mark Chipman has been a relatively hands-on owner. I've heard that from people very close to the team. Um, and, you know, if there's a sense that he'd like to pull back and let the hockey people hockey, so to speak, well, then maybe if you're able to train a Barry Trotz over that time and have that sort of success, stepwise him up, maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff becomes president of hockey operations someday. Maybe you build out the staff that's responsible for hockey operations uh, and, and flesh it out. Because in a salary cap universe, if you're trying to win, everybody's player payroll is set within a particular range. But management, scouts, analytics, all that other sort of stuff, I mean, that's where you see teams, the real heavy hitters, the real um, wealthy clubs that like to spend. That's where they can sort of differentiate themselves. And a president of hockey ops could be a nice step down the line. You know, I mean, you've got a, a, a section in the piece called a path to the front office. And I think that has to be a big part of the conversation with Trotz. Because of what you said, do you think the Jets have an advantage in that specific category? as opposed to a place like Vegas where you've got Kelly McCrimmon and Georgia McPhee already there and in Philadelphia, a place that's just had a turnover in their management recently? You know what? Yeah, it's, it's a situation where, you know, a lot of things are a double-edged sword, right? Some The same exact um, aspect of your organization that can be a tremendous strength in one context can be a weakness in another. And as one example, and I promise I'll get to your, your question, but one example that got carved apart in the fan survey was the loyalty that Truno shows, right? The amount of years Paul Maurice was around, the contracts the veteran gets, veterans get, pardon me, and this sense that there's this real commitment to people uh, above results. But if you're a head coach looking for some security or looking to grow in an organization and you're comparing Winnipeg's place right now, the loyalty it has shown to the Paul Maurice's, Kevin Shovel Dayoffs, of Blake Wheeler's and others of the world over the years, and the way that it's been able to, to establish that as a fundamental tenet, and you compare that to Vegas, who's been through Gerard Gallant, who's been through Pete DeBoer, who seems to you know jettison players at a moment's notice as well. I mean, isn't Winnipeg's loyalty more appealing to you in that sort of capacity? For me, the same thing applies to Winnipeg's current front office structure. 
And there are so many organizations that spend more on the front office, on um, on scouting staffs, both amateur and professional, on analytic staffs, um, and really flesh those sorts of things out. All of the consultants, everything, president of hockey operations being another one. So, you know, that does strike me as a weakness, perhaps, in Winnipeg's case, but they're also small and conceivably able to adapt. So if there is an organization that is positioned to create this type of position or to go from where it's standing right now to integrating somebody like Barry Trotz in that capacity, I think it's Winnipeg just because of the same reasons that I listed as a weakness. And I think that that's unique to Winnipeg. Murad Atesh of The Athletic is with us. We're discussing his latest piece in The Athletic. It is entitled, Why Barry Trotz Should Pick the Winnipeg Jets for His Next Coaching Job. I love the title. I'm 100% behind it. Let's talk about the actual team. If you're Barry Trotz, what is attractive about the Winnipeg Jets, the, the actual hockey, the head coaching job, as opposed to the other ones? And how do you think it compares to Vegas, to Philadelphia, to a team like Detroit, which is in a very different stage of a rebuild as opposed to where Winnipeg, Vegas is? And I'm not even sure where Philly is right now after the dumpster fire of a season that they just finished out and all the turmoil they've had in the organization over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, that's the key question because Barry Trotz has suitors. Barry Trotz gets to interview clubs and see what the vision is and see how he fits into it as a potential solution. And one thing that we often overlook is that these people are people. They're human beings with pre-existing relationships, with pre-existing resumes, with careers built up. Barry Trotz has won a Stanley Cup. He's done that in Washington with a fairly stacked team and a superstar like Alex Ovechkin sort of buying into his system as the years went on. Um, he's taken a middle-of-the-road New York Islanders team beyond expectations based on the structure that he was able to implement there as well. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that coaching was a major part of that. So what do you want if you're Barry Trotz? And from afar, my opinion is that Winnipeg, if you're looking to have that Calgary Flames-style turnaround, where you believe the pieces are in place for actual success and you want to feel like a coach can be the difference maker, look no further than the Winnipeg Jets because as it stands today, without any major roster moves or blockbusters, which could yet happen, Mark Shifley, Pierre-Luc Dubois down the middle, that's foundation for potential success if you can get everybody pulling on the same rope. Kyle Connor just hit 93 points, has defensive room to grow. Clearly, there's a lot of veteran defensemen as well. Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, who has succeeded in top four capacities in previous environments, weren't able to do that in Winnipeg. But the talent is there. There is at least an above-average team on paper in the Winnipeg Jets' room right now. Um, and I think that if you're a coach looking to feel an impact that you can take good or okay or middle of the road, but use but exploit the biggest strengths and, and teach around the weaknesses – I think Winnipeg has tremendous room for growth under under a coaching transformation. And I think that based on what you heard from some of the most important players, I mean, Andrew Kopp before he was traded, but then Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, Paul Stastny, et cetera. Kyle Connor, let's use him as an example. This team wants to be held accountable. This team wants to have high standards and high um, high levels of accountability that are tied directly to its performance because there are really prime-aged, talented, core pieces that want to get the most out of themselves during this window of their career. And I don't think you have to look at a Detroit that's rebuilding and certainly has some impressive young players, 
but has more work to do on paper. Um, I don't know if Vegas is appealing because certainly there's a tremendous amount of talent there. And Jack Eichel uh, having a proper offseason after that back surgery, getting back into things, that's going to be a good team. I don't think there's a way around that. But Winnipeg's a place where a coach can have a tremendous impact, can compete for the playoffs. And if the right moves are made, well, then you sort of get into that everybody has a chance. But then you tell that to a team going up against the Colorado Avalanche and we'll see. Yeah, no, that's a great point. One of the other pieces you talk about is the uh, the defensive issues that the Winnipeg Jets have had. Now, listen, there were more than just defense. I mean, we were often puzzled as to why the Jets had such a hard time scoring goals at times last season with all the offensive talent they had. But really, I think the foundation of where things fell apart was defensively. Barry Trotz, that is his calling card. Um, and we know what he's done in the past. But I think about the Islanders team, the buy-in that he got from those top players, but also the guys that he ran like sometimes, I mean, close to what he did, the top players, third liners, fourth liners, Clutterbuck and the like. Barry Trotz took this job. How different of a roster do you think we see on opening night next year for the Winnipeg Jets? Well, I mean, that's a wonderful question. And I think, I mean, you just look at past performance. You look at the past examples. Like you say, you know, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck, that sort of energy line that was trustable as well and that, you know, average 12 minutes a night. Could you like? Could you imagine a Winnipeg Jets fourth line playing 12 minutes a night? That's three times as much as they usually play this year. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know if, if the Jets have, you know, a Cal Clutterbuck on the roster right now. But if you're, I want to say, Mason Appleton, that's probably a little higher up the depth chart. You probably already have your opportunity. If you're Jansen Harkins... Um, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, maybe there's a new coach that I can impress. Evgeny Sveshnikov, I don't know that that fits the, 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 the fourth line type that Barry Trotz has used in the past. So the question for me then becomes, did he get the most out of those guys because they were the pieces he had and he found a way to exploit them? Or is that the template by which he wants to work? And I'm, I haven't done the homework to know the exact timelines to, to sort of suggest that at this point. But if, if that is the template, then you're going to look for, I mean, Brendan Lemieux types when he was a Winnipeg Jet. I think he's a bit uh, of a wild card, a, a Brendan Lemieux type because of the penalty minutes and other sorts of things. But he did have that edge. And I wonder if that's a direction that Winnipeg lo would look to augment itself, if that's the direction Trotz goes. Or we just see, um, we see a way in which the coach seeks to get more out of that bottom six by maybe empowering it a little bit more. You know, and I think about a few years ago when we had that third line of Jack Roslevic, Jansen Harkins, and I think it was Mason Appleton, the class of 2015 line for a little while. It had tremendous success and then was broken apart and people were sent back to, to lower minutes. It seems as though, even if the narrative is always the veteran coach plays the veteran players, and you can hear some of that coming out of Long Island as well, when you look at the minutes, they're more spread out and it seems like there's an opportunity for guys in those bottom slots. And there are a lot of guys like Harkin, Svechnikov, who saw their line, who saw their minutes go up and down and up and down that you can't really tell if they're in Winnipeg's long-term plans or not. And so there's a little bit of room for tweaking if they want there to be tweaking. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing that I'll say, and this goes back to that fourth line that he leaned on prolifically, consistently, pretty much for his entire time in New York, that... I mean, the one guy that stands out to me that would be a perfect fit that could be maybe even an upgrade from some of those guys today is Adam Lowry. But Adam Lowry's played in a different, uh, you know, 
different spot right now. But I mean, if you're talking about 12 to 13 minutes and potentially penalty killing time or something like that, then, you know, then the whole nomination of who's the fourth line, who's the third line almost goes out the window. But that happens on a well-balanced hockey team. And that's been a real Achilles heel from my perspective of the Jets, particularly last season, is that they were so top-heavy that when things weren't going well for the top guys or at times when there was consistently lackadaisical play on the most important aspects of playing your own end, um, it's very difficult to win hockey games. And then you start creating some problems within the room as well about who's playing, why are they playing so much, and you know, you have some guys that sort of feel left out as being real bit parts of a team. Like we saw, I think many of the fourth liners are the guys near the bottom of the lineup, um, the situation that they were in under both Paul Maurice and Dave Lowry over the course of the last season. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge anybody further down the Winnipeg Jets lineup for feeling as if there were a different set of standards in play, depending on who you were on that team. And I think that that's something that you look to change. And, and I don't mean that in any insidious way though you know we hear things from time to time i just mean that if you look at the minutes if you look at the minutes and um and the justification for some minutes getting taken away from bottom players and and uh, and minutes that don't get taken away from top players you know you have mark shifley playing connor mcdavid minutes without connor mcdavid results that's gonna you know ruffle a feather or two i would think um so i like the adam lowry point and almost no matter what happens in the future you have to think that Adam Lowry's primed, I don't want to say for a Josh Morrissey style turnaround, because that's big, that's a big swing. But Adam Lowry has to be exhaling right now, right? Without without his dad as coach, the optics that come with that, um, without that kind of stress over minutes. His performance has been up and down in the last few seasons where there are times where he looks every bit that bottom six driver who can lean on people, place play physically and he's a unique player type on the Winnipeg Jets. And there are times where he just hasn't been able to get it done. And the offense doesn't track with the minutes that he gets either. Um, if you can build a line around him that looks at that 12 minute mark or what have you, you know, I, I do think that there's room, room for growth for the team, just balance in, in, in general. You know, I, I don't think it's right that Winnipeg's top players play the McDavid dry sidle minutes because they're not getting the McDavid dry sidle type results. And, that type of balance is, is going to be interesting to see what happens no matter who's coach next year. Well, you know what? I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I mean, I'll put you on the spot. Feel free to pass on this. But my my observation of Adam Lowry's season was the first half was a bit of a struggle, and part of it was that, you know, it was they tried all sorts of different guys in that spot along with him. Um, you know, the year before, he was basically stapled with Mason Appleton. I mean, there was some consistency they never really did see that. And a lot of it started with Christian Veselainen getting, you know, it's so funny. We talk about young players being held back. Christian Veselainen had this glorious opportunity and frankly, from my perspective, didn't make much of it. I thought that the Adam Lowry we saw coming out of the all-star break for the final two and a half months of the season was an Adam Lowry playing near the top of his game, much like we'd seen in previous seasons. Did you share that observation on sort of Adam Lowry's body of work for last year 100 percent. it follows in my mind exactly the arc that you laid out and the reason i see it that way is twofold first let me let me tangent and say that christian vessel business was strange it was strange and it was misguided 
And if you go back to last summer, everything we were writing, everything, um, all of the discussion around the team, there was clearly a job opening on third line right wing if Winnipeg was going to go cop Lowry X. And that Christian Veselinen's resume suggests that he could be that guy. I don't know that we saw that coming. And yet... Um, there were whispers that he was going to be that guy throughout the offseason. You saw it from day one at camp. You saw it continue. You saw it continue through a lot of not very much in the way of results as well. And I don't know if that's body type. It was, I believe Paul Maurice suggested that it wasn't going to be as purely play against the elites, but maybe play against size. So they were looking for a bigger player in that sort of role. And okay, I can hear a little bit of that argument, but they certainly went to it for a long time without a tremendous amount of success. Maybe I'm put, I'm saying this. Nobody's told me this. Maybe the sense that we want our first round pick to to look, uh, you know, to get a proper shot so that we can see what you know why we've invested in him for so long or or what have you, or to try to to boost value there, get a return from you know a pick that they invested a lot in. I'm not sure, but it was misguided. It was you know it was a mistake. I don't mind the experiment, but then the the commitment to it that was a strange play on the on behalf of the Winnipeg Jets. Moving on. Then you get the you get a lesson in what most of these guys do. Quality of line mate matters more than almost any other thing that you can get into. And that's why you have bit players score alongside superstars, as long as you know who your drivers are. That's why you can have Sveshnikov light it up with Connor and Dubois or Parkins or Perfetti light it up in that line. You know, whoever's going to get that job is going to do well. Well, Adam Lowry isn't such an amazing dominant third line center that he's going to carry a rookie who's not, or a, a young player who's not necessarily custom built for that role, give him line mates and you get to see his strengths come out. And that's why you're looking for more balance and maybe some better decisions about who difference makers actually are, no matter how big they are, where they were drafted. You know, you mentioned uh, Veselina as a first rounder and I granted the situation from forwards to defense was very different last season. You know, you had the new veterans come in, the 10 million added to the salary cap with Dylan and Schmidt. I mean, there wasn't the same path to playing, but man, what a difference in the way Christian Veselinen was handled, the opportunity he was given as opposed to Avili Hainala for all those reasons that I mentioned. But I want to ask you about Hainala in particular, because of course it was a disappointing end of the season uh, for the Moose losing in game five. I thought Vili uh, really bounced back from, um, you know, certainly the play getting pickpocketed in game three. He was, uh, you know, a, a dominant force in the remainder of that game and in game four. Mark Morrison talked ravingly about, you know, what he had shown and what he had proved. Vili yesterday at the, uh, the, the final media availabilities for the club talked so glowingly about being part of the team and how much he enjoyed being on the Manitoba Moose. And the one quote that sort of stood out was, you know, I was allowed to be myself here. Did, did that, is it normally when someone says like that, I think you can sort of brush it off, but considering everything else we've heard about the big club, the locker room, um, did that resonate with you at all a little bit as to something that man, they, the jets, the Winnipeg jets, not the moose really need to get right for young players. Well, the alarm bell went off. Yeah, yeah Lonnie said the same thing yeah. about going to Columbus, by the way. Okay, so I mean, like, there, there, there's a pattern. Like, um, I, I, so yeah, the alarm bell goes off. One hundred percent, it does. I, I have to add the caveat. I wasn't in the room, so I don't necessarily know the body language or the context or or those sorts of things. Fair. Caveat number two: um, English is his second language, et cetera, et cetera. All these caveats get it. You know the. 
it's ev everything before the word but you can sometimes throw out, right? But those are important caveats. That said, yeah, that 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 sends alarm bells off. And when Billy Hanela has been part of Winnipeg Jets practices in the past, you know, I look for that. I don't want to say body language. That's not exactly it. But you can tell when who's joking with who, who's hanging out with who. You can tell the pecking order of these guys if they didn't have numbers on their jerseys or names or anything like that, just by how they interact with each other. And in the past, you know, my observation was that Ville Hanela looked and, and seemed to feel uh, as though he didn't necessarily belong amongst the, the veterans or the top six guys in that group. It's sort of, it might be the normal, natural, younger, uh, rookie type player, you know, I'm sure every young player goes through a certain amount of transition phase before feeling like they belong on the big club. I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. But towards the end of this season, I started seeing these really great examples of Brendan Dillon um, joking around with him on the ice. That press conference he had with Nate Schmidt, where Nate Schmidt was answering questions from reporters about what it was like for him to be a young player. And you could tell every word was directed, not just at the reporters, but at Hanela beside him. And you got to see these really great examples of what integrating the new guy, what making him feel comfortable actually looks like. And I can remember tweeting from practice, hey, you know, Paul Stastny and Bill Hanel are practicing right now. Schmidt and Dylan are kind of teasing and they're jumping in and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, this is the first time where I've really felt as though there's been this really um, concerted effort to integrate the guy, at least socially, on the ice in the middle of a practice, which is just one niche that we, we get to observe. Um, and I thought that was good from those guys. Is it missing from other places? I'd believe it. I, I would absolutely believe that because I believe that that quote probably does mean something from Billy Hanela. And I think that Winnipeg's defense group did a good job of it this year, but maybe you don't get that same sort of support uh, from top to bottom of the, of the, of that dressing room. Well, and, and, and you know, and I think it speaks to <clears throat> the culture improvements that need to happen. And, and it got me thinking, and I've spoken about this for the last couple of years, occasionally when we've been speaking about the jets, but some things that Zdeno Chara said a few years ago continue to ring in my ears when we talk about the Jets and the ease of welcoming in young players and what they have to do to sort of to last as Winnipeg Jets. And there was an article in The Athletic by Joe McDonald in November of 2019. And they were talking about a newcomer, a guy Cameron Hughes was making his, his NHL debut. And um, he didn't skate a lap or two on his own at the start of the pregame warm-up, something that's somewhat of a rookie ritual. And I mean, this is not hazing. This is, I think, a lot of guys are sort of excited and it's a little bit of a funny thing. But but Chara, I'm just going to read a couple of these quotes from this piece. He goes, I've been through some stuff and had to do certain things a young player and I didn't like it. Right then, I made up my mind that if I was ever in control of that sort of environment and could make a change, I would do it. Um, he always respectfully describes newcomers as first-year players. This was another one. I don't use the word rookie because it just doesn't sound right. Little things go a long way and make a big difference from these young men who are trying to stay and establish themselves in a league. If we can help them out in any way, that's great. And then this is the, this is really, how can you expect something out of a young player on the ice when you treat him differently off the ice? I believe in certainly acts or behaviors, and it's a standard for me, and we're not going to be using anything against anyone. And Listen, I'm not pointing fingers or throwing a scud at uh, Blake Wheeler or anything like that, but it just seems like that is so different than what has been the culture of the Winnipeg Jets. And maybe this goes to Barry Trotz, maybe it goes to the new head coach, 
Maybe that goes to a new attitude as far as the way they welcome in players in. But I think we've seen that some younger players have had a real, real tough time feeling a part of the team and what they have to do to sort of get to that point. And it seems in stark contrast to an environment like a very successful team like the Boston Bruins that do it over and over again with new faces each and every year coming in the lineup and sort of emerging to the outside of people out of nowhere. And I think that even though it's, you know, it's a few years old, gives a pretty good window into how maybe some teams are handling things in a different way as opposed to the old school way of, uh, you know, you're a rookie until we tell you and you're going to be doing this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I just I found that so interesting. And it always I always think about it when we're talking about some of the issues that we've heard that the Winnipeg Jets have had behind closed doors. That is uh, that is an incredible quote. That is an incredible series of quotes. I mean, I think you have to admire anybody in any context who who embodies the be the change mentality. Right. Because it is so easy to absorb that difficult stuff that Chara talks about, whatever it was, and then want to pass it on to the next generation, right? Like, um, you know, the old, uh, you know, it happened to me, it'll, it'll, it'll happen to the next generation sort of, sort of stuff. And to hear him say that he's going to draw that line in the sand and, and make that transformation is powerful, especially because one of the, one of the counter arguments that I would like, I don't hold, but comes into my mind when we, when when I hear hear that warm integrated stuff is well, you know, maybe in the '90s or two, early 2000s when you know the Blake Wheelers, Joe Thorntons, and that generation of players came into the league, maybe that stuff was normal, and so maybe it's normal for them to pass it on to new generations. A, a certain I would call it power distance between the the top and and, and the bottom of, of that pecking order that was just normal and expected and all that sort of stuff. But you gave that quote to me from Zdeno Chara, who is then, I believe, if I saw the screen, 42 years old. So this is not just a, you know, an old school, new school thing. Oh, you know, the modern millennial player needs to be coddled or whatever else it is. You know, one of the oldest players in the National Hockey League, if not the oldest, my stats are, you know, is is willing to make that transition and, and that cultural change. That's like I, I don't know what to say other than that's powerful, and the degree to the degree to which you get the best out of people is probably is when you make them feel the most comfortable. And you know, I have heard similar things about young players in Winnipeg not always feeling the most welcome, or there being a power distance, whatever name we want to put to that. Or you have Paul Maurice or Blake Wheeler, whoever it is, talk about the youth holding the team back. And if you're a 23 year old player listening to that like how welcome can you feel and that's only what gets said publicly so uh, all i can say is you've given me a lot to think about with that um and i'd wish i'd read it in 2019 yeah well and just they the hughes was this was this young player that you know was sort of the the focus that had just made his debut and i'll just finish this this one quote and this i think is exactly what you want your new players to be feeling um he said, yeah, it's pretty awesome, said Hughes, who had to explain to his dad that the Bruins do not participate in any of those ridiculous practices. They make you feel comfortable, and that's how it should be. And uh, again, if you're an athletic subscriber, it is from November 4th, 2019. Joe McDonald wrote the piece on the Boston Bruins. They had just been to the Stanley Cup final. Um, and 
And, and just to your point of it, I mean, and this, and I'm not talking about, this is not about hazing or anything like that, although the, the, that it's been brought up. But you do have guys that go through a bunch of bullshit to kind of finally establish themselves and, you know, maybe they hold them against. And much like in so many other ways, it sort of manifests itself into doing that again later on in your career. And uh, listen, I just think at this point with everything that we've talked about and learned about what's happened with the Winnipeg Jets and some of the problems that they've had, you know, uh, 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 thinking about that sort of an environment and how they can build that would go a long ways to creating a new culture, one that welcomes everyone in and, frankly, I think gets the most out of every player on the team. Uh, Marat, this has been awesome. Uh, folks, get to The Athletic. You can read the piece about Barry Trotz, and we'll cross our fingers that you'll have many more columns about Mr. Trotz in the future, depending on what happens over the next little while. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate everything. Great chat. Um, and also, if you're out there on Reddit, I saw a really hilarious comment in response to uh, to my story there. And I just want to say, I see you. And that's, that's all I can say on that. <laughs> uh, right on. Hey, we've got Pat Steinberg coming on in just a second. Uh, we don't have a lot of time for it, but uh, who you got in the Battle of Alberta? Uh, um, I think Calgary's too deep and too mean and too vicious and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that they've got that style of play, but I grew up as, as an Oilers uh, supporter, so that's going to hurt. I uh, cannot wait for it. It's going to be a must-see TV dropping the puck tonight at the Saddle Dome. Murat, have a great one. We'll talk to you next week, pal. Right on, us. Thank you. Appreciate it. There it is, Murat Atesh of The Athletic. You can check out his latest over at theathletic.com. All right, PGA Championship gets going tomorrow. Feinberg's going to join us a little bit later on on the show. Uh, and again, we did the uh, Cool Bet PGA preview show earlier today. Check it out on all the social channels. And if you're thinking about playing golf, Breezy Bend is the place. Get to breezybend.ca or give Corey Johnson a call. Find out how you can make Breezy Bend the golfing home for yourself and your family. An incredible course, continuous course improvements, clubhouse, patio, practice range, juniors and women's programs. Breezy Bend has it all just outside the city in Headingley. Find out more at breezybend.ca. And hey, if you're looking, I went by Carstar yesterday. Uh, I was speaking with the lady there uh, about some body work, and I will tell you that potholes are destroying cars in this city right now. If you need a new whip before you do anything, head on over to our friends at Knot Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? And if you're thinking of going electric, talk to them about the Tesla Experience program they have going on now. Knot Auto Corp. They're at Waverly and McGilvery, and you can find out more and check them out online at knot.ca. And, uh, hey, little brown jugs ready for summer, or spring at least, whenever it decides to uh, to get here. Uh, lots going on right now at Little Brown Jug, and they've just launched a cider. The cider was fermented for four and a half months from cold-pressed apples from an Ontario orchard using a mix of wild and cultured yeast. It's dry and refreshing and gluten-free. And there's so many new products available from Little Brown Jug, including the cider, queer beer, Saison, Hefeweizen, and the Folkfest lager. Stop by their taproom or patio to try one of their delicious new brews. Find out more online, littlebrownjug.ca. And of course, you can order for home delivery as well. All right, well, great conversation with Murat. We talked mostly about the Jets. I had to hit the Battle of Alberta. And, of course, we got the Oilers side of things last night. Let's head to southern Alberta and welcome in my pal Pat Steinberg, the host of Flames Talk, top-rated podcast. You can check it out wherever you get podcasts. And, of course, also heard on Sportsnet 960. 
Pat, it's just about here. We've been talking about this for a while, and now it is happening the first time in 31 years. Battle of Alberta. What's the buzz and what's the vibe like in Cowtown before game one tonight? It is uh, it's crazy, Huss. Like, I, I think people are finally starting to really realize that this is happening. And, like, you, you're you talking to people all over the city, and people are leaving work early, and, like, businesses are shutting down. It's like, no, no. It's game one, Flames and Oilers, you don't have to go to work today. Yeah, or, or you duck out at three, get to the bar, get a good spot. Um, I, I cannot, I, I honestly can't begin to imagine what Friday night is going to be like. It is an 8.30 local start. So oh. it's a Friday, 8.30 local. Uh, so you're going to have, you're going to have hours to pregame it at the bar. Like our, our bar strip on 17th Ave, the red mile, like I, it's, it's going to be an, an absolute zoo. Um, this feels like the Calgary stampede. It feels like, it feels like the Calgary stampede, but if the Calgary stampede hadn't happened in 30 years and people are like, what is that thing again? So what do you do? And, and I think that's, that's kind of what we're talking about now. And more and more and more people are starting to be like, Oh yeah, it's the Battle of Alberta. Like we're the, the Oilers are here and they're playing in a best of seven. And so I, I think it's I, I honestly think this is gonna be unlike anything we have covered in this city or in Edmonton. I think that like there's maybe two or three people who are covering this series. Jim Matheson in Edmonton, Eric Dehatchik here in Calgary. I can't think of anybody else who has covered a Battle of Alberta before in the playoffs that is working in the media now. Like Maddie's here. Dehat checks in from the athletic. I'm, I like, and if I'm missing anybody, I feel bad. But you know, like this, this is this the is list once isn't in a long. lifetime stuff. No, it's not. It's it's insane. So yeah, people are fired up. You know, um, listen, I've mentioned this many times before, but I had a great time doing so many shows with you last year around this time of year, and really even the month leading into the playoffs, where the Flames were an incredible disappointment, missed the playoffs in a very weak Canadian division. And I mean, our conversations on the program were just how much they are going to blow this team up, despite Daryl Sutter coming on without great results, to be honest, at the end of the season. The Jets sweep the Oilers. That got me a lot of love in Can in uh, Calgary on the shows because, of course, everyone <laughs> loved to see that. But I mean, the Jets were sort of the envy that were moving on. And, you know, the Oilers were out swept in an embarrassing fashion. The Flames didn't even make the playoffs. And now we are here. I mean, you cover Calgary the most. I'll just simply ask you, how has this happened? How did the Flames turn it around so completely to the point that many people think that they're a Stanley Cup favorite right now as opposed to those miserable conversations you had to have afternoon after afternoon on 960 last year? It's May 18th. A year ago, the Flames were playing a meaning, meaningless game in the afternoon against the Vancouver Canucks with neither team going to the playoffs and the playoffs having already started. They were playing regular season games in front of zero fans before the before, as the playoffs were going on. There was an afternoon regular season game, and then there were playoff games that, that night. That's how meaningless this was a year ago for the Calgary Flames. And now here they are about to play game one of round two for the first time in 2015, since 2015. And they're about to play the Edmonton Oilers for the first time since 1991 in a playoff series. Like it, it is incredible the turnaround. Two things that stick out to me. Number one, what Daryl Sutter did with this team. You're right. They went 15 and 15 in the 30 games he coached last year. 
but he laid a foundation and he got buy-in from important players. And so when training camp started in September, this two-time Stanley Cup winning coach who has a history of turning teams around very quickly, he had the buy-in from the start. And so they started building a foundation as one of the best five-on-five teams in the NHL in October. And it started to get them results. They lost their first two games. They lost to Edmonton and then lost to Anaheim in overtime. They went on a five-game road trip and swept it. And from that five-game road trip on, belief was built and there was a buy-in that players had that they could fall back on. We know if we play the way we're supposed to play, we'll give ourselves a chance. It won't always work. Maybe there'll be bad luck. Maybe a bad goal will go in. Maybe we'll run into a ridiculous goaltender. But if we fall back on this, we will have success more often than not. So when you have that belief, it sets a a really good precedent that I think carried the flames through uh, the entire regular season and has been there from the start of the postseason. And number two, I give Brad Living and this management group a ton of credit for not bowing to public pressure and not listening to what, all the negative narratives were on the outside and saying, we believe in this group. We believe in Johnny Gaudreau. We believe in Matthew Kachuk. We believe that this core has what it takes to get it done. And look, they haven't won anything yet. They've won four games in the playoffs. But I hope that there was a little bit, whether it's – and I, I felt like I was from on the negative scale. I definitely skewed negative at times last year. But I feel like I was pretty measured, all things considered. And and I certainly went into this year believing that the Flames had a chance to be back in the playoffs with their roster and with their coach. But I hope that Brad True Living has taken a little bit of time over the last number of weeks in private to uh, flip a little bit of a middle finger to some of the uh, pundits who said he should be fired or he should <laughs> blow up the team or he doesn't know what he's doing or he's lost the plot. I, I hope that part of him and i asked him this when he joined us on our show earlier this week i said do you ever uh, do you ever just want to say stick it or have you said stick it he said no it's not about me it's not about we haven't won anything yet but i hope at some point whether he has or if it's down the road i hope that he can get a little bit of satisfaction knowing that he was right well i mean hey we were uh, I, listen and that's what you do i mean when you've got a passionate uh, market for a team like the flames and I mean, the, the, the parallels between what happened in Calgary last year and what's happened in Winnipeg this year are very close. I mean, being close to it with you guys last year and watching it and talking about it every day here. I mean, it, there is some sense of deja vu just happening on a different side. And don't listen, that is being a lot of people talking about that and thinking like, OK, hold on a sec. Before you do anything drastic, look at what happens. Look at what's happened with Calgary. Now They will right. have a new head coach. They didn't do that, but it is important. All that being said. All the goodwill from this entire season that's been built up, the thrilling win in overtime for Johnny Gaudreau and beating the Dallas Stars probably goes out the window in a nanosecond if this team can't beat the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, it, I was t- I've talked to a couple of people in the organization, and the, the, the prevailing thing is we can't lose to these guys. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I guarantee you the exact same as being said in Edmonton. We cannot lose to these guys. We can't lose to Calgary. One of these teams is going to lose. Somebody is losing this playoff series. We know that, but each team believes it is non-negotiable that it cannot be them, which I think just sets up an entire um, added level to this uh, to this series. But boy, I, I, I do think what they were able to do in round one and how they were able to persevere um, 
built up a little bit more faith in this group. And let's see how this series goes. So let's say that Calgary does end up losing, but it goes to game seven and Connor McDavid is Herculean and no team would have been able to stop him. And you lose in that fashion. I think that there would, I think most fans as, as pissed off as people would be and as devastated people would be that Edmonton won the, the series. I think at the very least in the big picture, People would say, a lot of people would say, no, this team took some real steps this year and there's things to build on. Um, so I don't, th- now, they go out and get swept by the Oilers? That's a different story. <laughs> uh, if they go out and get swept by the Oilers, I might hand in my resignation because I don't want to deal with that this summer. But um, but all things all things being equal, I, I do think the Flames have, have um, been able to, I don't want to say prove people wrong, but I think they've been able to build up a little bit more goodwill amongst fans that were pessimistic because they were able to persevere because they were able to find a way against Dallas and because they didn't, they didn't crumble when the pressure were, and adversity was at its highest uh, against the stars team that frustrated them beyond belief. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say that obviously somewhat tongue in cheek, just because it is the Oilers and it is the battle of Alberta. And it's but you're the first not time wrong. I'm, like well, they, no. <laughs> they, when they lose in the regular season to the Oilers, it's, it's as if somebody just got their pet killed. Like it, it is, it is different when the flames lose to the Oilers in this market. And the same is true in Edmonton. Hey, you mentioned the Dallas series, and it was fascinating. I mean, Rick Bonus, I thought, did a great job at you know doing everything in his power to neutralize some of the high-powered offense that Calgary brings to the table. I mean, these games were tight; they were all close, um, and it was a razor-thin margin between winning and losing, right down to Jake Ottinger almost single-handedly stealing the series in Game Seven. That being said, we've seen a lot of teams that do very well with long playoff runs that get tested to the extreme in the first round. What do you think the takeaways from round one are for Calgary and what can that do for them going up against their arch rivals in round two? So a few things. I think the fact that they were able to have their belief in their brand of hockey kind of confirmed with the series victory and eventually they put 67 shots on net in game seven and they almost got goalie, but they won. And I think that that, that kind of underlined and maybe reinforced the belief that if we stick with our brand of hockey, we being them, if the Flames stick with their brand of hockey, that they'll have success. And it won't always work. I mean, again, sometimes you'll run into a great goaltending matchup, or sometimes the other team will frustrate you, or sometimes the other team will be better that night. But if you stick with that brand of hockey, you have a belief that you'll be rewarded and eventually your goal can be achieved. And I think the fact that they won game seven and did it in the fashion they did and did not get away from their game and didn't let the adversity of the moment get to them, I think that that just adds to the belief factor that we've talked about um, throughout throughout this conversation. Um, and, and I also think it's one of those things for Johnny Gaudreau where he now knows that he can dominate a playoff game. He now knows that he can be a playoff performer. And I don't know if he doubted himself. I know there were people on the outside who doubted. I don't know if he ever doubted himself. But if he did, well, he can't anymore. He was the best player in the series for Calgary. He had eight points in seven games. He scored two game winners. scored the series winner. He was dynamic. Was he perfect? No, but nobody was. But he was over 21-plus periods the best player in the series for either team outside of Jake Ottinger. So that, that I think is another big thing that can be accomplished here is the fact that I think Johnny Gaudreau has 
a little bit more belief in what he is as a playoff player and what he can do and what this team can do. So it, it all goes back to that B word belief, because I think that this team has had so many disappointments and they were one shot away from another disappointment. Now it, it, that goal that was scored in overtime, it felt, I'm not saying they're going to go to the Stanley cup final or anything like that, but it felt a little like Alex Burroughs in 2011 when Chicago, who was the, the team that they could never get past in Vancouver, Chicago had pushed them to game seven after being down, I believe, 3-1 in that series. Yeah. Uh, no, it was 3-0 in that series. It was <laughs> 0-3, and they came back and they forced overtime in game seven. And the the clenching at GM place at the time in Vancouver was like beyond belief. And then Alex Burroughs slayed the dragon. And that's kind of what I felt that Johnny Gaudreau goal was like for the Flames on Sunday night. And I wonder, look, they've got a tough test against the Oilers. Don't get me wrong. But I wonder if that's not something that can propel them here as the postseason goes along. You know, um, listen, everything you just said about uh, Johnny Gaudreau, we can say about Connor McDavid as well. He was a guy, and he put his team on his back. It was kind of funny that in those five game sevens, the the biggest margin of victory was 2-0 on a late goal by McDavid. Um, but listen, he's the best player in the world. Even with the dry sidle injury, he is going to be a problem. What is the biggest key for Calgary when it comes to, I mean, you're never going to completely shut him down, but limiting the damage that 97 can do. Number one is stay out of the penalty box during the regular season, four game season series, which they split. Calgary was the better team at five on five, but they were torched. And this is one of the better penalty kills in the league and was great in the series against Dallas. They were torched by Edmonton's power play. And McDavid was the driving force in that nine, five game. The power play killed them Um, in the two losses they had in Edmonton. The power play killed them. So stay out of the penalty box. That's where Connor does the most damage against the flames is on the man advantage. But, at even strength, I think that there are – I'm curious to see who Daryl Sutter employs. Does he put a lot of Michael Backlund up against the McDavid line? That's going to be really interesting to me. And Backlund has historically done a very good job against Connor McDavid in those head-to-head matchups. Um, so Backlund being a two-way power I think is going to be really important. Um, they're, they're going to need to – look, The it's, it's, it's such a cliche term, but – defend the guy in layers and and make it so that he does that there were there were times in the dallas series where the stars clogged up the neutral zone so much that the flames could not enter and could not skate between the two blue lines with any semblance of speed well that's kind of what they got to do with mcdavid's on the ice the gaps have got to be a little bit tighter and i know there's always this worry that if you have the the big gaps you're going to get beat especially by that guy but the number one key, stay out of the penalty box and don't put them on the power play. The number two is just limit damage and, and make sure that he is not burning you on a regular basis in a massive way. He's going to get his chances. He's going to get his looks. He's going to have his forays. But you got to make sure that the actual dangerous ones, there's a highlight reel about him uh, of him against L.A. where it was four and five times a game where he was single-handedly creating high danger, 10 bell chances, whether it be on somebody else's stick or on his own, you can't have that happening. It can be one or two a game. It can't be four or five a game. Pat Steinberg with us. Uh, Make sure to check out Flames Talk wherever you get your podcasts for uh, some great coverage of this series. One more quick one for you on the way out. 
How do you think, and this is a fan question, because I'm fascinated. I mean, we know the hockey's going to be great. I'm fascinated about the atmosphere in the buildings, the atmosphere in the cities. How different, how, how many Oilers fans do you think are going to be in Calgary? How many Flames fans do you think are going to be in Edmonton? And how different will that be to a normal regular season game that happens a number of times every year? I think it's going to be less than usual because go check out StubHub and see those prices on resale. I've been. Um, five, like you're five, 500 for press level or nosebleed seats for one. And and that's just to start. If this thing goes six or seven, like that game seven, you'll be talking about 2,000 in the, in the nosebleeds. So I think that's going to be prohibitive because people who have those tickets, people who are season ticket holders and the Oilers and Flames have large season ticket bases, those people, A, are going to be less interested in putting up their tickets on secondary resale sites. And when they do, they're going to charge a premium. So the average Joe who'd pay 100 bucks for a resale ticket, maybe uh, maybe not as, uh, like the guy like me, I may, I'm maybe not as willing to uh, shell out $1,500, right? <laughs> so um, I think it's going to lower the amount in both cities. I would say typically there are more Oilers fans in Calgary for home Flames games than the other way around, only because there are more transplanted Edmontonians that live in Calgary uh, as opposed to vice versa. But I still think there's going to be a significant amount of representation. There were probably 90 Stars fans at Flames games in the first round at home games. I think it's going to be like still 20, 25% Oilers fans in Calgary. And I'm going to guess about the same for the home games in Edmonton. Pat, love you, buddy. Cannot wait for this series to go. And if I mysteriously show up in Calgary on the weekend for game two, I'll be texting you and we'll have a, uh, have a pint maybe after a big game. You know it, Huss. It's uh, good to see you, brother. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Enjoy the Battle of Alberta. There's Pat Steinberg. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter, and you can check out his show, Flames Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, hey, tomorrow and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, it might be a good time to pop by your local liquor mart or beer store and grab a six-pack of the new Canadian Club and Ginger, and you're going to be so glued into the playoff hockey and, of course, the PGA Championship. You don't want to waste any time having to mix your drink. It's ready to go for you. CC and Ginger, the new drink of the summer, available now at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts or beer store. And, of course, if you're at the Liquor Marts, you can always get the great taste of Canadian Club. Um, Princess Auto, great sponsor of the Gold Eyes, who have a doubleheader tonight after yesterday's rainout. Well, hopefully they're going to get these games in. It's pretty ugly outside right now. Um, and not only Princess Auto, great sponsor of the Gold Eyes, but the Bombers, too, sponsoring the pregame tailgate section before each and every game, assuming that we get these CFL games. Of course, if you missed earlier, we talked to Jake Thomas, Bomber player rep. Um, kind of spokesperson for the Bombers Club. Sounds like there's some positive things happening, but we don't have a deal yet. Bottom line, Princess Auto will be there for the Bombers, and they will always be there for you, where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations. And, of course, you can uh, also shop online 24-7, 365 at Princess Auto auto.com and uh hey maybe time to uh ignore the weather pop by the nick and nicky dq group try one of those amazing new stack burgers but make sure you get your hands on manitoba's favorite the blizzard four locations 
the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Pola Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Hop on over today. All three Winnipeg locations will deliver to your home via your favorite delivery app. And if you need a cake, a DQ ice cream cake for an upcoming event or party, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. We'll get it ready for you, and you can pick up quick and easy at any of the Nick and Nikki DQ locations. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, PGA Championship gets going tomorrow, and uh, it's just not a major week without a visit from my guy Jeff Feinberg on Winnipeg Sports Talk. He joined us now, always rocking something to do with the uh, the Chargers, and we could go on and on for about the offseason as well, but let's focus on what's up. How you doing, man? You ready for a uh, tee-off tomorrow at Southern Hills? I am doing very well, Huss. I am. I am ready because, I don't know, the weather, just the wind factors. There's a lot of, like, tinkering, and it's time for for it all end and for them to just tee this one off, Huss. I'm pretty excited. Well, I am, too. Now, just quickly, you mentioned that conditions, the weather. There's a lot of people that are going to be making some last-minute bets. They'll be filling up their DraftKings lineups. There's been talk about an advantage for the AM-PM draw. What do we know right now? What should a casual better or DraftKings player just keep in mind when they're making their final selections? Oh, you should know that you're gambling. (laughs) I mean, let's get that out of the way. Picking golf winners is hard enough, Huss, especially when you got to do it early in the week for content purposes and then have to constantly be trying to, you know, am I going to ignore the win? Because we've seen in events like the Players' Championship where people... You know, they get so worked up about the weather. They pick a lane and a wave to completely invest in. And then you get one extended weather delay and all that just doesn't really matter. The bad weather you expected did come, but it was so bad. No one even ended up having to play in it. And then that kind of refocuses who's going to be in trouble. But you are right. Right now, it does look like an advantageous situation to the AM PM wave because Friday morning, We have winds flirting in that 40, 50 mile an hour range. Some people are speculating they would not let them on the golf course in winds like that. Other people who are more familiar with the region are saying, whoa, 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 stop the clock. This is Tulsa. This is Oklahoma. They've been preparing to run this event with 30, 40 mile an hour winds. People come to this course every day. The members are playing in those winds. They have no intention of stopping um, the tournament for those wins. That's part of this this course, this time of year. So it'll be, I guess, really interesting to see to see how that's going to play itself out here, Huss. And you know, I mentioned the numbers as we're recording, but it's a never. It's it, it doesn't stop changing. No, it, you're exactly right. And um, I mean, it, it, you think there's an advantage for guys? The OSU guys, the Texas guys, the guys that have played in those conditions in those areas more than many players that are coming to Southern Hills for the first time. Yeah, and there's no secret. Pretty much every Big 12 golfer has an affinity for this place, says it's one of their favorite golf courses. I think you could give a check mark to some Australian guys, Hustler. A lot of reminders of some of like Royal Melbourne and just how this place plays around the green. Uh, you know, I think you could even respect the Scotsman, you know, in their ability to sort of be familiar with the conditions and have the shots in their bag in these sorts of conditions. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, of, of factors, guys that can play the shots, um, you know, that have a variety of shots are, are players I'm starting to to look at. 
Um, let's look at the top of the odds board. And I have to give you a personal thank you. When we were talking about the Masters, and I was mentioning Scotty Scheffler, and I was going to get on, and we started talking about the PGA. And I guess at the beginning of the year, I thought, you know, this guy's due to win a major. But the one that seems the most likely for him is the PGA. And I got him at that 25 to 1 number before the Masters going. So I've got that riding into this week. He has been the best player. I mean, he's pretty much wrapped up the player of the year already, I'd imagine, with the wins that he's had. Um, what do you make of the favorite and the other guys at the top of the board, the John Roms, the Rory McElroys that are right behind him at the top of the odds board? Outside of a very couple instances, I can um, recall Hustler. It, it has not been... It's been a winning strategy, essentially, to say, oh, look, that guy won. That guy won this big event. Doesn't mean he's not going to win again and contend, but don't really need to focus on him, you know, piling up the wins. That doesn't really happen. We saw Jordan Speed do it a couple years, a few years ago, and Jason Day kind of did it a few years before that. But I'm now prepared for Scotty to win everything. Uh, the way his approach game works, the way his around the green game works, he kind of does feel like he is in a class of himself at this very, very moment. That being said, there are players that are, um, I don't want to say they're a nose hair from being Scotty, but you look at a guy like Patrick Cantley and more like a pretty long fingernail away from having a resume somewhat similar to Scotty Scheffler's, not including the Masters, which is a huge asterisk to say not include that, but He's got the multiple playoff losses, a win at the Zurich, which I'm not going to overrate. It's a team golf win. But we saw Phil win a major championship here last year, Huss, off of a Champions Tour win. And winning just breeds more winning, it seems like. And these new, this new generation of golfer has caught on to that. Also, Justin Thomas, if you look at results, if you look at current form around the green approach. I think Cantley and Thomas, in my opinion, represent the biggest threats to, to Scheffler at this very moment. I do think all three of these guys though, Hustler that I have mentioned Scheffler and the two that I have money on uh, right now, find themselves, I think on the bad side of the draw. So I don't know, a little nervous about that. And that's what happens when you got to make bets on a Monday and, and have for content purposes. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you in the same boat. Um, that being said, a couple of other guys, and you sort of mentioned, I mean, it, listen, I'm a big Cam Smith guy. We've talked about him for the last few years. We know he was the second at the, at the Masters. But when we started talking about the wind and you mentioned the Aussies, Two guys, I think, provide some pretty good value right now. Cam Smith, we're seeing a cool bet at 25 to 1. I've seen him as low as 18 to 1 at some other books. And Mark Leishman, if you're looking for a bomb, 100 to 1 for a guy like Leish. Interested in your thoughts on those two. And, of course, you hang a 65 to 1 on Tony Finau. I, it doesn't even matter what else is happening. I am on it. Thoughts on the two Aussies and our guy, Team Tony. Okay, so obviously, Cam Smith, he deserves his place on this odds board. You hear everything you hear about this golf course. It actually really sets up perfectly for Cam Smith, Hustler. Um, th there can be a bit of forgiveness off the tee, which is maybe Cam Smith's biggest weakness. Some of his nicer wins. Oh, he has that player's win. But, you know, he can sort of find the ball after a bit of a spray. But it is around the green where he has a... But we've now come to just acknowledge as a Spethian, like a peak Spethian like expectation 
around the green with his ability to chip and putt. Saw someone post some videos on the ground watching some practice today. It, it clearly showed from those like Cam had every chip in the bag that might be required at this place. So you can't ignore it. I will ignore Mark Leishman and say for the same number now, I'm seeing 100, 110s on Adam Scott, who, you know, just as a profile to me is just so long, is just so straight. If this thing's going to play as tough as they say um, to that minus four, minus eight winning score, that kind of sets up perfectly for an event that you would think everything Scott does and doesn't do. Um, this is the type of event that leave, could leave him in a great position. And as it pertains to Tony Finau here, Huss, it's major championship golf. So I have a bit of a, a fault, but I, I accept it. I also busted my knee and haven't filled up my gas tank since February. So that's the degenerate in me. Think I'm allowed to make extra bets, Huss. Like I got money to burn. Also haven't hit a winner in a while, but it's like you jets. Like it's like, Tony Fino is one of my absolute favorites. Major championships are like my favorite teams are playing playoff games. I don't bet against the Chargers in a playoff game, even if I like the other side. I'm sure, a lot of you lost. Uh, well, the Jets didn't make the playoffs. That's not a burn. I was just trying to. I was just trying to fall into an easy. There was a lot of futures uh, on the sure. team or make the playoffs I, I, best, I just, whatever, you know. Yeah, you know, future. I like to bet on guys who I cheer for, who I genuinely like, who the winning the major championship is a legacy flip for. So that includes, yeah, I have money on that 65 to one Tony Fee. Now, Huss, I can't, I can't not bet that. And if you know me well enough, you'd know I probably got a little money on like that Daniel Berger 70 over at our friends at Cool Bet. And the Tommy Fleetwood 100. Thankfully, the players that I do like have gotten worse over the last year and a half. So their numbers are bigger. And these like just want to be part of my friends bets cost me a lot less because they're not 30, 40, 50 to one. I'll say one thing about Tony. I mean, if you don't think he's going to get it done, nine to one for top five, his best result in every major is top five or better. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't mind that as well. I'm going to ask you about Tiger and Phil in a minute, uh, but just before we get off the board, you mentioned a couple of those other longer shots. Uh, any other bombs on the card or guys that maybe people aren't thinking that you think, yeah, listen, this guy might be in the mix on Sunday at a big number. Yeah, so another guy that I do like, nor, uh, you know, find me a winner, a hundred to one hustler. Uh, it is, uh, it is Alex Norin who has my attention. He is the, an Oklahoma state grad that, People are not talking about, so let's not ignore he has those ties. But he ranks top 30 in this field in approach, in putting, in bogey avoidance, in three-putt avoidance, and sand saves. The eight-time European Tour winner, we're finally starting to see that form that he first brought over to America a few years ago, and he has a history of excelling on really tough courses, so I think this could be right in his wheelhouse with his... um perfect form but it's also that guys that have never won a major in that like 40 to 60 range and it's it's Zalatoris and Neiman right in the middle who are calling my 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 name as well Jeff Feinberg is with us make sure to check out all of his content follow him at G Feinberg 17 and uh, a regular with Pat Mayo on the uh, Mayo Media Network with their weekly picks coming out each and every Monday uh we can't uh, listen, I'll tell you and I think I've spent just mentioned this to you before um, a bucket list item following Tiger Woods at a major got a chance to do that 15 years ago at this very golf course where he won the PGA championship Incredible. at Southern Hills. He's back. 
Thom in the Masters, what are your expectations of Tiger? Will he make the cut? And could he possibly be in the mix on the weekend? I have no expectations for him to be in the mix on the weekend. Um, like any event, my expectation is kind of what I hope happens. So hopefully I'll speak it into fruition. I want him to make the cut. Ideally, he makes it pretty close to the number. So when we wake up on Saturday, we can have this full morning of Tiger Woods coverage. He can be off the golf course by the time the leaders get out. And that is the perfect and realistic Tiger Woods scenario for all major championships as far as I'm concerned. I love it. Okay, final one for you. You texted me earlier today and said that you were uh, getting into the audio book of uh, the new book on Phil by uh, uh, Chipnuck. Um, Maybe just first off, how do we get here? I mean, it is crazy that Phil is not here to defend his title. It's been one of the most insane falls and graces falls from grace we've seen in sports. Period. Um, and uh, what were the early returns on what you heard from uh, from the book that started all of this? It is quite incredible that we got here from where we were a year ago. Like we were having the conversation that. Just give the guy quarterback money and let him talk about golf when he doesn't want to play it anymore. Get Azinger or any of these guys out of a booth and put Phil in. Let's have Phil part of our lives forever. Now it feels like, you know, who who really knows? And I'm shocked. I was kind of surprised he wasn't at the Masters. We'd spoken about that. That probably shows how naive I am. I'm shocked he's not here. I'm the most shocked that it's the PGA of America who has to make a statement for him, Hustler that he is yet to even say anything and is his expectation to have his first media availability, just be a live scrum like for the Saudi league, like a media scrum when he shows up on a Monday or Tuesday to, to one of those events. That's pretty awkward. Uh, I have started the Shipnick book. I could not, not buy it. Um, it's, you know, the first chapter he's just, he's just telling like a hundred different people's fill stories. So right away, you kind of get your juices, you know, flowing and ready for it. I do hope like a movie where you, you do hope that the trailer didn't have the two or three best parts of the book. You do hope there are some still really good things in there. And we will, I will find, um, find that out. And quickly on the way out, Huss, I'm proud that the PGA tour has got their back up here because all of us as Canadians, this live they're picking a, a beast if they want to go head to head with rbc and the canadian open that's their first event but rbc sponsors two events on tour and rbc is like essential to the lifeblood of everything that makes the pg for what those guys like about the pga tour rbc is essential to and that's also one of the reasons i think they've been very like not letting releases if you want to play the week of an rbc event for what they do for us you're going to be playing for us in rbc yeah well we will get to that point we'll definitely talk canadian open when it comes up uh, on the program but in the meantime good luck hopefully we have uh, our venn diagram of bets meet in the middle with the winner on it and uh have a great one are you and pat going to be doing a cut sweat show tomorrow all the best yes friday afternoon cut sweat it's even harder to put a time on it because, you know, who knows with the weather when that will actually um, be. But always looking forward to it and good luck to everybody trying to land that Sunday hero.
Thanks for doing this, dude. Uh, follow him at gfeinberg17. And uh, if you have the opportunity, once we're finished tomorrow, the boys will be getting on, having some fun, some laughs, and uh, following all your DraftKings lineups to see who makes the cut. Here is Jeff Feinberg. And again, Mondays, follow Media, uh, Mayo Media Network on YouTube, and you'll get all the content with Jeff and Pat and occasionally the ever-insane Tim Andercust. All right, uh, Ben, this has been a crazy show, and it really has flown by. We got playoff action tonight, the Battle of Alberta, and, of course, Winnipeg's team, the New York Rangers, going up against the Carolina Hurricanes. Great night to pop into your local Boston pizza, watch the games on the big screen, scarf down some Boston wings, gourmet pizzas, a few ice-cold schooners. If you're staying home, you, of course, can order their game day deals over at bostonpizza.com. And uh, we are less than two weeks away from horsing around together again out at the Downs. The Prime Rib Buffet is back and live racing is back as well at the end of the month on May 31st. In the meantime, you can bet on the ponies around the world at hpibet.com. But make your plans to get out to the track beginning on May 31st, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday live racing all summer long and into the fall with our friends at Assiniboia Downs. And Remo and I will be back making our picks daily here on Winnipeg Sports Talk with our favorite bets. Now, as far as let's get Remo back in here and we'll quickly get to our cool bet lines. Um, great action in the chat today. No surprise. And uh, Remo, I have to say, between Jake Thomas with his insight into the Players Association standoff with the Canadian Football League, Barry Trotz watch continuing with Murat battle of Alberta with Pat Steinberg and my guy Feinberg coming on to get ready for a major. This has been one of the busiest shows, but also one of the most uh, entertaining from my standpoint. This has been a real fun last couple hours on the program. Informative, entertaining. We hit a number of topics, got off to a bit of a rocky start there with Jake Thomas's, uh, I guess his, microphone set up but hey we got it figured out it's been smooth sailing since and i'm very comfortable back here all right well let's get to it uh i'll ask you first rangers plus 153 hurricanes minus 175 of course the hurricanes are a favorite in the series what sort of odds do you give uh, the rangers in this series and in this game tonight of course uh, if you uh, were unaware Andrew Kopp's trade, Morgan Barron, two second rounders. One of those second rounders becomes a first rounder if the Rangers can win this round and advance to the final four. Where are you going? Well, I picked the Rangers to beat, I'm sorry, I picked Carolina to beat the Rangers in my bracket that I, uh, I showed off on yesterday's show. I will stick with Carolina. You know, 175 is a pretty big favorite to me. I mean, they're a big, bigger favorite, uh, Carolina over the Rangers than. Calgary is over Edmonton. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think Carolina is going to win. Minus 175, I think is is high, but I will. I'm still going Carolina at home. Yeah, I, listen, storm. I'm on Carolina for the series. I pick Carolina in six. I've got Carolina minus one and a half for the series price, but I would love to be wrong because <laughs> that would make our conversations about the draft that much more fun and exciting here on Winnipeg Sports Talk going forward. Uh, the main event tonight, just after 8.30, it's the Battle of Alberta. Oilers and Flames, as you mentioned, the Flames, minus 164. Edmonton, plus 146. I like the Flames tonight. I think the Flames come off of that OT win uh, on Sunday night with an incredible amount of confidence and momentum. 
And I think what's most important is they're pretty darn healthy, which is a far cry from what the Oilers are with their 1B superstar, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, turning like a cruise ship, as uh, we've heard him referred to a few times lately. We'll see what he can do on the power play. I don't think for a, a there's a chance that Jay Woodcroft leans on him as much at 5-on-5 five five as he did in Game 7 against the Kings. Um, but listen, I'd love to be wrong because more dry saddle will make this series just that much better. That being said, I like Calgary tonight, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we uh, see a two-goal win. I'm actually going to take them on the puck line, minus one and a half at plus 147 tonight. You rolling with Calgary as well, or do you think McDavid can uh, strike first for the Oilers and the visitors on the road? Yeah, if I had to pick one of the two favorites, I will take Calgary minus 164. Um, Dreisaitl banged up. I think Calgary's the deeper team. Edmonton is a... I don't want to say one guy, but he's like the best player in the league. And you saw what he did against LA. It's going to be a much tougher test for Edmonton. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning Calgary here. I like them at home. Sea of red. Looking forward to seeing the, the videos of all, all the parties in that parking lot. Uh, that was some nice uh, footage there. Well, and they're going to be rocking in uh, the, uh, what do they call it? The Moss pit, uh, the, tri- the uh, tribute to Joey Moss. Um, they're opening that up tonight. I mean, so it, it's going to be going. Uh, I just saw Tom Kong asking if we are going to do any DraftKings playoff pools for Winnipeg Sports Talk. And, of course, Remus jumping at that opportunity to say, well, we did one, and he took it down. Yes. I'm not sure whether Remus is going to think about putting the belt on the line tonight, but we might do that. I do want to let you know that we're at 37 entries of 50 for the PGA Championship uh, DraftKings. So I'd love to see that get filled. We're going to pay the top five uh, it's three dollars to enter. If you go to DraftKings, search for the uh, WST DK Championship, or uh, just send us a tweet, uh, myself or Michael Remus, and we'll make sure we get you an invite. Put in your DraftKings handle for that. Um, I love DraftKings. My favorite things: NFL football, CFL football. But there's nothing better than the major championships in golf, and obviously, there's a million other contests you can go in. But the one you definitely want to go in. $3 contest for us here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, I suck at golf. Like, I keep playing in the major ones, but um, I never win. My only golf win was Olympic golf in Rio. Was that 2016? Is, is that it? Uh, in Rio, yeah, 2016. Was it Kuchar and uh, Justin Rose? Justin Rose. That's, that's my only golf win. And what year is it right now? 2022. So, look. <laughs> You're I due. Can, I'm. I don't think it applies, but uh, I, you know, thankfully I'm okay at, um, but hockey and CFL, NFL. I had an okay season as well, so uh, I will put in for this golf and Google some picks and and donate my three dollars. Hey, uh, big show tomorrow. We yep. haven't forgot about the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, we will be breaking down the Ice Oil Kings series. With who better to do that with Craig Button, TSN's director of scouting. Craig will join us. We'll look into game number one in this best of seven between arguably the two best teams in Canadian junior hockey. Rewicki will come by. We'll talk a little Jets. We'll talk some playoffs with Brandon. And we'll also have Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period with more on the Battle of Alberta, the NHL offseason. Maybe he's got some insight into what he's hearing on the streets regarding our guy. Barry Trotz, Remo. Yeah, we do have some uh, news, actually, actually some more news. Um, 
We didn't touch on the big trophy nomination for Kyle Connor today. You know, we had talked about it. Uh, Lady Bing, Kyle Connor for Lady Bing, Dave Lowry giving him a shout out. Well, the nominations came out today. Kyle Connor nominated for the Lady Bing Trophy along with Jared Spurgeon and Jacob Slavin on Carolina. Kyle Connor, four penalty minutes in 79 games. It was among the leaders in goals and points. Give this man the trophy. Let's go. I'll, 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 I'll fill you in. I'll take you behind the curtain, folks. We've got like a, a notes page that we always, we both put in things that we want to make sure we hit. This is Remus's notes for the, for the Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor nominated for Lady Bing Trophy. Slavin and Spurgeon also nominated, but who cares about them? Very well said. Yeah, Four we penalty minutes, 47 goals. Give that man the trophy. Uh, we talked about Andy Strickland's hot treat as well. Timo Salani. And um, as far as the rest, oh, Ben Sherratt got a, uh, got a 5K. He didn't quite get the Darnell nurse treatment. It wasn't quite as bad of a headbutt. I guess not. I don't. I don't know how they determine if it's a suspension worthy or 5K fine worthy, but yes, he did. Uh, he did get that. Everyone's dunking on the Coyotes. If you saw that report yesterday, uh, they will be playing in a tiny junior hockey size arena. They will not even have their logo on the ice. It'll be that of the ASU Sun Devils, the team that they're well renting the ice from for 41 home games this year. Um, but more importantly, back to the Canadian Football League for a minute. I'm just seeing this you threw in there, Reem. Chris Streveler waved by the Dolphins. Yes. And you do wonder what other NFL options are there for Chris Streveler or whether he might at some point end up back here in the Canadian Football League, assuming the players in the league get, the, get it together and get it done and move forward. Yeah, so they waved him. I'm, we'll see what uh, Strev has to say. I've been enjoying his Instagram during the offseason here. I don't know if you knew this, Huss. They changed the rules that you could have two quarterbacks on the field now in the CFL. If he did come back, I wonder what kind of trickery we could see. Imagine a backfield with him and Zach Caleros. You oh, wouldn't know I'm who's throwing the ball. I'm, well, you probably know who's throwing the ball, but <laughs> you'd probably know who's <laughs> running the ball too. It's just how you get to that point as well. Sure. Well, it would be great to have Buck Pierce have to spend long sleepless nights figuring up new packages to have both Strebler and Caleros in the backfield. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, tomorrow we will have more on the Canadian football league, hopefully some good news and uh, we'll reach out to one of the insiders on Friday. If this is still going on for a little more clarity heading into the weekend. That being said, we've gone long. We've got to get the podcast up. Thanks to everyone that's been with us. And thanks to all of our guests, Jake Thomas, of the blue bombers and the CFL PA, Murata Tesh of The Athletic, Pat Steinberg in Calgary, and of course, our guy, Jeff Feinberg. And thanks to everyone in the chat. Seemed to be quite lively. I saw poor Maul got timed out and went for a dog walk today. Uh, but uh, otherwise, it seemed like everyone had lots to say, and we really do appreciate it. It's a great spot every day in the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat. 1 p.m. on YouTube. If you haven't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? It's free. You'll get it every day. And we're getting closer to 7,000 subs. We'd love to have you on board if you haven't already. So hit that red subscribe button and do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out today. Folks, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll discuss the Battle of Alberta. 
continue trots watch hopefully have some good news on the canadian football league labor dispute and much more on tomorrow's edition of winnipeg sports talk and don't forget full ice preview with craig button tomorrow on wst oh my god shut it down let's go thanks for tuning in to winnipeg sports talk daily Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.